Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is February the 10th of 2021. I am Nick here with Chris, and we are here to talk about manga in mm-hmm. a recapping fashion, as we do weekly. Yep. And that's um, where the name of our podcast comes from, Botch Snap. <laughs> we did do that for a bit. We did do that for a bit. <laughs> Nick, congratulations, by the way. Your Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, are uh, Super Bowl champions. Welcome to Botch Snap, everybody, where it's, uh, <laughs> Nick's going to spend the next two hours bragging about a team he doesn't really keep up with anymore. <laughs> I was say, does it even feel, because I, I, I don't know many Buccaneers fans. Nobody does. But uh, I need to ask. Now, I know you don't watch football as much as you used to. Neither of us do. Neither of us are into it the same way we were probably six years ago at this point or whatever. Um, But you have at least I I still have like a vague knowledge of the Giants. Is there any kind of feeling that like a team of mercenaries just took over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and won a championship? I mean, it's kind of like saying like, oh, yeah, a, a hatchback just won the drag race. And then it's like they took the shell of the hatchback and put it on top of the hot rod. Yeah. And it just so happened that the hatchback <laughs> happened to be aerodynamically compatible with the massive engine that was put, built underneath it. Yeah, no, I, I was thinking to myself, like, how many players just got had like this year in order to do this? But I guess it was kind of the same way the year that we won the last Super Bowl. Um, I guess it, it, it seems a little bit strange to me, I guess. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no, it's good. Uh, I guess it's because this is a much more common thing in like every other sport. Like I know basketball. I mean, championships were defined what team LeBron had moved to for a period of time, more or less for like a series of years. Whereas football, it's very rare that like one or two players shifts a team and the team that was suddenly kind of middling becomes the Super Bowl champion. Like it, it just seems very rare for that to happen. I yeah, it feels that way. I feel like um, probably baseball is on the other end of the spectrum. Like baseball, you unless you are the Yankees in the two thousands and yeah. before, you have to actually like kind of build it up. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, I think actually hockey is probably a little bit the same way. But yeah, football, it seems that. <laughs> There are definitely those examples of occasionally it's just like, oh, yeah, we just threw a bunch of things onto this team and suddenly it worked. And we'll worry about that salary cap next year and it'll be fine. Yeah, and it's all going to be OK as you look over to the Saints and you're like, how much are you guys over? A hundred million. I think that they said that Tom Brady is now the oldest quarterback to have ever won a Super Bowl, which seems there, crazy to me. There, there was some ridiculous amount of statistics I've been hearing over the past week. And the one that still blows my mind is that like it's statistically more likely that Tom Brady in a given season will go to a Super Bowl than Steph Curry when he goes to the three-point line will sink a three-point shot or something Jesus like that. Christ. And I was like, that's kind of fucked up, but that does sound accurate. With the number of times that he's played in it. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. No, um, I'm happy for the people who made a lot of noise uh, in my neighborhood for about 15 minutes. Uh, and I am actually happy for you because after those 15 minutes, everyone was like, shit, it's work night. Let's stop setting up fireworks and go to bed. Uh, so- They're like, I can't call off work tomorrow because I'm at home. So... Yeah. So, um, no, there was there was some fireworks set off and stuff like that. Uh, and I w- remember I was just 
much less happy about it than when I was 12 and the Bucks won the Super Bowl. And now on the drive home, uh, there were a bunch of people hawking their horns and stuff like that. <laughs> I was in a much more of a mood to celebrate. But also, I knew approximately five times as many players that were on the team at yeah. that time. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we actually apparently did uh, an episode of Botch Snap there, a real quick one. And, yeah. and now we could do the podcast. Title Town. The Lightning and the Buccaneers. How many players between the two teams can nickname? Oh. <laughs> all the teams are playing in Florida anyway, so I, I, I might as well just claim all the championships. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's get things going and completely change moods for the mind that we're talking about this week. Because we have a dramatic series that we're talking about. Uh, that was recommended to us that we started on a few weeks ago called Hina Change. This is a manga by Gaku Kajikawa that's been that had been running for about a year uh, on the Shonen Jump Plus service. It was available uh, still to read for free in English on Manga Plus if you'd like to check it out. But before you do that, be forewarned that there are some things in this manga. It's not like, oh, super content warning. It's more disturbing theme wise than anything else i would say uh because this deals with uh, a lot of the bad things that come with actual real life teenage angst like not the whole like oh i'm i'm, I'm discovering that the world isn't perfect and so you know here's a young adult novel about it. like no there are teenagers who really do go through some bad, some bad stuff because of bullying uh, or because uh, they discover that they are a way that society doesn't always approve of very much. And uh, this one deals with both. Um, the premise of the story is that we have two main characters, a uh, boy and a girl, uh, Hime, Hina, rather. And, oh gosh, I've already forgotten all the characters' names. It's been a week since I read this. and Reno, I want to say, Arena. Is it Rin? Hang on, let me just look this up real quick. I feel like it's like Rena. It's a very simple uh, name. Ren. Ren. Is it Ren? Huh, I guess I'm an idiot. Maybe. So, uh, Pina's a girl, Ren's a boy. And they've known each other since they were little, little, little kids. And they discovered in their childhood that when they do like the, the pinky swear, uh, clutching fingers, and one of them says change, they can swap bodies. Uh, so Hina's consciousness goes into Ren's body and vice versa. So they've used this when they were kids so that like, you know, if Hina was scared of confessing something to her parents, then Ren would take over and do it instead so that you know, wouldn't have to deal with it. That kind of thing. But uh, now they're teenagers in high school and Ren is gay. Uh, it's something that we eventually see from his perspective, how he's kind of he he has been gay his entire life, uh, but he didn't really come to grips with it until he was in high school, roughly speaking. And so he has this boy that he likes that he confesses to in the first chapter and he gets rejected and the guy doesn't even like really take him seriously. So Ren is 
heartbroken. He goes to Hina, changes bodies with her, and in Hina's body goes to the boy and confesses to him again. And they immediately have sex. And so, yeah, he uses his friend's body sexually without her permission. And when he tells her about this, she's okay with it because she is basically so unloved by everyone in the school. She is a massive target for bullies that she relies upon Ren needing her for her to feel any sense of self-value. And that's the part the story starts at and the bad decisions and dealing with those bad decisions continue from there. So if you hear all that and you're like, oh, that sounds disturbing and I don't want to see what any of that's like, don't read this. If you hear all that and you're like, well, that sounds like a fascinating story about, you know, exploring the, you know, darker emotions that people deal with as they're growing up. Uh, and also I would like to explore this thing that has LGBTQ uh, plus themes. Then you might be interested in this story. But that first chapter, even knowing some of the premise, uh, I was not warned about how that first chapter concludes. And I was unpleasantly surprised by it. But I will say that the story does not have these bad things happen and not acknowledge that the that they are bad things. In the I, sense that, I would actually very much disagree with that. Okay, we've got, we're going to have a conversation about that. I was going to say, I feel like they never really spend enough time actually addressing the fact that it's essentially rape in multiple parties that happen there. Um, in, a, in a sense that it absolutely is, yes. Yeah, I agree. not just her, but also Makoto is not having sex with who he think it is. Right, uh, And did not get sent to that. Yes. Uh, and there's elements that happen later on in the story that are also in that range that you're just like, hmm, this is kind of... And I understand it's a story of teenagers who are making poor decisions because... They are very confused, and there's there's parts about that that I would like to engage with a lot, but there are definitely parts of it that I feel like did not really feel like they got properly addressed at all. Um, and there are definitely some like kind of uncomfortable themes that go throughout that don't really get touched on very much. I would say that for as much as this story does touch does address certain things that really should be addressed more in media, uh it does kind of sweep them under the rug a number of times in terms of not to get too far ahead of myself <laughs> and put the cart before the course, the, the cart before the horse, but it did feel as though things got resolved pretty cleanly by the end. Yes. So now I, I will, I will say that, there are discussions, important ones that still do happen, and characters are not instantly forgiven for the things they do. 
Um, and sometimes certain characters who were the victimized party respond in poor ways that kind of creates different problems for other people and things like that. And all those do sort of get addressed. And I feel like for the most part, everyone we know kind of end up in a better place by the end of the story. So it's good in that way. Um, but I, I don't know how to really describe this series. Okay. I, I, it, cause it's not funny. It's not like a heartwarming no. story at all. It's not, there's moments of it that I think are, are interesting to, to look through a certain queer lens through, but there's also some kind of odd issues that uh, some, I don't want to even get into because I don't feel very well equipped to talk about them. Um, but then there are, it's, it's not like, I guess it's a trashy dumpster fire, but not like, not like Riverdale. <laughs> yeah. Like not like Riverdale or something like that, where you're just like, Oh, this is fucking just ridiculously stupid. Like, it's no, th- th- this would not get this would not be a kind of series that I would do a passionate defense of in a weekly Margarita <laughs> no. bonus episode. Where like, oh, it's so much fun to watch, dude. <laughs> and it's not even uh, like interestingly dark in the same way that something like Akanohana was where you're just mm. like, OK, this is dark and depraved, but I'm I'm seeing something through this. I will say it doesn't necessarily fail at any of those things, per se. But it's not good at any of like I don't know which one I would like really push through to be like oh if you like that then you might like this kind of thing I, I really don't know how to describe this series in my mind. Well, we've read some series that on weekly longer recap over the course of the years that have dealt with teenage problems that have yeah. addressed them in a way that is either interesting or has delved into topics that no, you don't see normally touched upon by mainstream manga a lot uh, that have been done in a good way. And I don't think that this manga is as good in any of the ways that the good ones of those that we've covered have been. Hmm. It's not bad, I would say, but there has everything that it does. I feel like another manga has done better. Hmm. Yeah. But so to get a little bit more into the plot. So we have the dynamic that evolves from this occurrence is that Ren does feel as though, oh, I fucked up because, you know, I just had sex with my best friend's body without checking with her first, if that was okay. And also I didn't tell the guy that I liked who I was. Uh, and so he is left to deal with that guilty feeling really through the course of the manga. But he is like, no, no, keep on doing it because I want you to be happy. And also I want you to need me because that makes me feel like I have purpose and that someone is forced to care about me. It's a self-destructive relationship uh, that they go through a few different iterations of that. None of them are particularly surprising twists, and this is not a a long enough manga. It lasts for roughly three volumes, I think. Yes. Uh, So there's not enough time in it for a lot of intricate things to happen. It's a pretty straightforward story. So they start off with uh, Ren and Hina's Bonnie continues to date Makoto without his knowledge. Uh, So they're changing bodies in order for them to do that and for them to hook up 
very regularly, it seems. And I mean that in the sexual sense. They hook up. Um, then eventually, uh, as Hina is going through all this and she's kind of more and more acknowledging that this is a bad thing that she is approving of, uh, she ends up <laughs> going out on her own in Ren's body and she comes across this older woman who acknowledges that Ren is handsome and they end up sleeping together which is another problematic thing because Ren is clearly like 17 and she's an adult so that happens, and now Hina has basically done that, I believe, because Ren did that, and she wanted to, I don't know if it was get back at him, but I feel like get even with him yeah, is she, appropriate. She, uh, yeah, something along those lines. She's angry, she feels like she's just being used, so she decides, all right, fine, I'll get back at you. Um and I, I I can't even remember the character's name. She does show up a couple more times, mm-hmm. uh, and for whatever fucking reason, the the author decides to to make her like a, a sympathetic sage like character who has her own backstory. That I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really give a fuck about her backstory. Is <laughs> I mean, like she's introduced she slept as that seventeen year old. <laughs> yeah, she you know she she slept with a high school student and is not concerned when she finds out that fact. Uh, she's like, oh, hey, your student handbook. Hey, cute girl inside of it. And you're just like, you're oh, not more your concerned. Did yeah. You have sex with me because you're cause, because. Uh, oh, is this the girl you're crushing on because she's with someone else? And and that's why you had sex with me. It's like, you're a pederast, man. <laughs> <laughs> and you seem to be OK with. It. So like, like her, the way she's introduced is she she sees uh, Hina and Ren's body standing alongside a bridge. So she's worried. He's, that he's you know, kill himself. yeah, she right. thinks that the person's going to try to kill themselves and pulls them away. And you're like, OK, she doesn't want this person to be alone. Takes them back to her place and then just fucks them. And you're like, I don't know where the fuck your mind was going at that point. And then throughout the rest of the series, she's treated treated as kind of like like she has a moment at the end of the series where she gives like kind of an inspiring kind of speech to one of the main characters and you're just like, bitch, no, like, <laughs> I'm not going to take morality lessons for you. You can't be like, yeah, I fed that person. They were hungry. They haven't eaten dinner yet. But uh, I stole the food from a food bank to do it. You're just like, no, no, that's not. <laughs> you don't I get mean, to do that and then claim to be the good guy. <laughs> I think that the part of it that gets me is that so she becomes kind of the normal person in observing all of this. Cause she pretty quickly figures out that Ren and Hina have something bad going on with them. She doesn't know what it is, but they, they, they give this explanation that, uh, there was a friend of hers that was in a bad relationship and she knew about the bad relationship before anything happened. She got like, you know, there were there were some signs that she was picking up on, but she didn't do anything. 
and the girl got, I think, just beaten uh, bef- before she actually could leave the guy. She's not dead. I remember that much. Yeah. Because she's like talks about wanting to check up on her and stuff. But she feels guilty about not having done anything before and stuff like that. So now that she thinks a similar situation is unfolding with these two kids, she's like, I don't care that they're kids. I feel like there's something bad happening here and I know about it and I feel like I need to do something about it to prevent one or both of them from being hurt because I failed to do it before. Uh And that's an interesting, you know, character motivation to have. Like I failed before and I know I don't have anything to do with these strangers, but, and I know that they're, kids and they're probably just going through kid drama but i don't want anything really bad happen to them especially because i saw that one kid about to jump off a bridge and it, it, and, and it's also <laughs> and it's also a fatal flaw in her character because she uses these people as reasons to delay dealing with the ramifications of the person she wasn't there for before that person's still alive her mom keeps contacting me like when are you coming to visit she says like ah, i can't i can't get involved and instead pushes that kind of part of her mind onto helping these two kids she does not know at all. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's an interesting character dynamic, which I think I kind of forced If only to... she hadn't slept with that kid. Oh, man. Think of how I easier like, things would have been. I feel like that was an interesting enough dynamic for me to not ignore that she had done that, but to kind of like push it, push it down. <laughs> <laughs> But so eventually by the end, there are a couple characters, her included, that find out about the body changing thing and which never gets explained or or, or anything. But that's I mean, it's the fact that it exists. It doesn't matter how it works or anything like that. That is important. So she learns about this and understandably, she asks the question of Hina. So when I had sex with that 17 year old. That was really you. So does that mean that you are into girls? And he was like, no, see, I was in Ren's body and I'm in love with Ren. So dot, dot, dot. And it's like, <laughs> that is the greatest case of no, I'm definitely not gay. Yeah. I just had sex with someone of my own gender. <laughs> so. That's honestly. I had such a massive hate boner. It, it could it could have been anybody, really, when you think about it. He's <laughs> like, no, basically, because I was in the body of the person that I love, I turned into a massive narcissist, and yeah. that's why I was able to get roused. So, there. That's a really weird little part of it. But uh, so the the dynamic between Hina and Ren changes a couple of times. As each of them goes through different stages of guilt and need to feel loved and belonging and stuff. So shortly after Hina in Ren has sex with that woman, uh, Ren approaches her. The guilt is basically too much because he sees that Hina is decaying in this, uh, you know, di- this arrangement that they have. So he's like, let's not change anymore. And I'll, I, I can't I, I, sh- I shouldn't be with Makoto this way. And well, he doesn't actually mind being in with Makoto as Hina. So wronging his boyfriend slash friend does not occur to him actually in that moment. Just the fact that it is clearly taking its toll on Hina. So he's like, I can't do that to you. You'll be miserable. And so Hina is like. 
well, no, I don't care if if anything bad happens to me. I'm happy if you're happy. And they're both like trying to push the needs of the other before them uh, because of a combination of guilt and uh, basically living vicariously through the other. Yep. Uh, so they end up and then taking the arrangement of Hina saying to Ren, OK, well, because she's like now making him feel guilty for calling off the arrangement that made her feel satisfied. So she's like, well, OK, if you're not going to continue to do this, then go out with me and you have to date me and love me. Yeah. And they like go on a date and she is like living out her dream date with him, even though it's all a lie because he can't love her the way that she wants him to, because he's just not attracted to her. Uh, they even like ride the Ferris wheel and kiss on the Ferris wheel and stuff like that. And Ren now is essentially left in the position that Hina was in, which is Hina is in the relationship that she wants with the person that she loves, but that won't love her back because of the way that she is. And now she's making Ren be miserable in order to support that just in a different way. And there's a plot element that I appreciated to a, a certain level, but that I really wanted to be taken further, which is that Ren sees this TV interview with this guy who goes on a talk show to talk about his experience coming out mm. and the way that he has been accepted and not accepted by the people around him. He's had, you know, mostly a very positive experience uh, with, with a lot of stuff. And so Ren ends up somehow getting in contact with this with this guy and asking him for advice, which is a nice Thing because yes you know it's a nice little lesson of young people who are dealing with these kind of situations know that there are adults that have been through what you have been through have been out the other side and can potentially offer you insight on how to deal with your situation and to improve it that's that's good um so the guy like you know takes ren and shows him you know what his living situation is now and the fact that like before he came out he had gotten married uh in order to like have someone to cover up the fact that he was gay. Uh, and also because marriage laws in Japan aren't quite where they should be. I believe that there was a thing that happened like just last year that just like marriage was uh, legalized just in just Tokyo, I think. Mm. Um, gay marriage, I should say. So uh, he sees all this and stuff like that. And, so he's talking to Ren and he's like, okay, so how are things with, with you? And he's like, well, I'm gay, but I have a girlfriend. And he's like, okay, well, I mean, I understand that because you know, the situation that I'm in now, and this is the relationship that I have with the person I'm still married to, even though we're not romantic partners, we have a, a relationship and a partnership and a friendship. So I understand that. Uh, and then they bring up the topic of sex and the guy is very upfront with, with, with Ren, which is just like, so if she's expecting sex, you're going to need to talk about that with her. And Ren's just like, no, I'm going to dedicate my life to her, and I'm just going to do it if she asks me to. And that does not turn out well, which it's just kind of one of those things that it's like, you know it's not going to go very well, <laughs> and then it doesn't go well, and it's not like sad, it's just kind of like, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, it, it, he's so 
defeated at that point. Yeah. And because obviously there's there's actually a portion of the story I did somewhat enjoy. And it's kind of in that period where Ren is just constantly beating himself up. Because we see a flashback that kind of shows how he went from being this kid who would do this trick essentially with Hina. And it would just be like something they would do for kind of practical jokes or to help each other. Sometimes it would be like, hey, uh, we're going to climb up this hill and you're not very strong or you don't have that dexterity. So I'll go into your body and I'll do it for you or, right. you know, things like that. And then like as they get older, uh, it started to move into different areas. And then like one day while he was in Hina's body, he realized like, oh, shit. I kind of have an attraction to guys and in this body that could be dangerous. Um, it's, it's too tempting because I could, yeah. I could pass as, 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 you know, cis heterosexual basically and, and be in a relationship and all that. So he's like, all right, we're never yeah. going to do it again. And then they just drift apart completely basically. Yeah. And, and he goes one way and becomes basically one of the most popular kids at school. And then she disappears and kind of becomes bullied and hated. And I, I, I do enjoy seeing some of his his thought process uh processes through that period because there there are some some very interesting things that there's there's points where you see all the bargaining and sort of insanity that comes along with this perceived idea of it, well I'll just be normal then uh I'll just be normal and I'll never have sex with anybody or anything like that. Or I'll just only have sex with women. And it, it doesn't matter. This is a phase. I'll just go through it. Or, you know, those moments where he just sits there and he's like, oh, I wish I was a girl. Because then this would just be easy. And like, yeah, the, I could the, just the, be the person that I feel like I am. Because he's not just gay. He is effeminate. He's into stereotypically girly things, mm. even from a young age. And people are like. Don't play with it. It's a very stereotypical scene where it's like he wants to read like a girly magazine and everyone's like, why don't you want to read a sports magazine? That kind of thing. So. Yeah. So like those points were good. I thought they they showed an interesting introspective. Um, they hit hard in certain ways. And I and I absolutely do appreciate those. Um, so I, I thought that part was decent. Um, how it all wraps up is a little bit odd. Yeah. It's not necessarily awful, but it's very much like, it, I don't know how to phrase it really. It, it's, it's satisfying, but not in a good way. It's every, no one's forgotten in the resolution, mm. but it feels a bit too clean for how grim and mm -hmm. gritty certain parts of the angst that yeah. were being led up to felt like all the stuff that Ren was going through felt real. Like the details could have been taken from someone's life. And even if it wasn't just real, it was all built up very well and very effectively when you follow him from his time as a kid to when he becomes a teenager, because it's not just a matter of, Oh, I, I, I'm gay, but I can't let myself be gay. He reaches you see him also reach a breaking point because you see when he first meets Makoto and how as he gets to know Makoto better and better, he realizes, oh, fuck, I've fallen in love with this guy. Yeah. And he realizes he can't just not love the way that he is inclined to. And so 
when you see all that happen, you really do want things to work out for this kid, especially because you know that the consequences for things not working out for him are going to be horribly dire. He'll yeah. spend his life in misery or he'll kill himself. And he comes close to it. Suicide is something that is not just a one and done, you know, possibility in this. It seems for like both it's characters, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's also just kind of like a bit more sympathetic because Hina is like both characters kind of engage in desperate, hurtful actions again, uh, towards their friend and others uh, for the sake of self-interest. But Hina doesn't more like knowingly, like she knows that Ren is not into her and she is forcing him into these situations that he does not want to be in. And that makes her a bit less sympathetic than Ren who kind of managed to like kid himself into a few different situations that he shouldn't have been. So eventually, uh, things, Break apart again because, of course, you know, the false relationship can't last. It, it unfortunately does reach the breaking point very shortly after they fail to have sex, uh, which is kind of like <laughs> that feels so mean as like the as like the the breaking point of it is like, well, they couldn't have sex. So it's like they <laughs> well, but it, it's more I know it, it's more a matter of like that's kind of the wake up call. Of like, OK, this is not going to work. That's when she feels guilty. Is when she realizes he'll do anything to keep this relationship going, yeah. and it's 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 killing him. So she decides that she's the big, she's the bad guy now, and mm-hmm. she basically runs off to like disappear and have a new life. She, but she then trades bodies before doing it. She runs <laughs> off in Ren's body because it's again reversing the whole. One of them is being self-sacrificing so the other can be happy, and so she's like. This would be a lot easier if I just weren't around. And so she's like, this is perfect because Ren can be in my body and he can be with Makoto and be happy. And I'll just run away so that he can't change back into me and he'll be happy as a girl. And then she's like, well, but I can't kill myself. I I can't. So I'll just get a job but she can't because she's 17 and she has run away from home. So she can't get her parents' permission or Ren's parents' permission to work. So nobody will hire her because they're like, listen, kid, there's laws. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get in trouble. So that doesn't work. Eventually, uh, Ren in Hina's body finds her in his body and they have this big, big, argument over who should I'm like no you can't do this because you're not happy no you can't do this because you're not happy and eventually they find Makoto and I think it's right I think it's just after god I can't even remember this I think Kita's I think they imply that one of them is going to just run onto the tracks and kill themselves possibly but Makoto finds them and they end up confessing things. And of course, Makoto is really, really pissed off that he's been deceived this way. Um, so 
he leaves all mad. So then things kind of very quickly resolve after there. Um, there's a point, part of it that I do really, really like where um, Hina has obviously been miserable looking to everyone around her this whole time. And so to explain away the situation, she tells her parents that she and Ren have broken up and that's why she's upset, which is kind of true. true. (laughs) It's not the whole truth, but it's true. But when she, you know, has a little, has a cry over that, uh, her mother is very comforting towards her and she, and Hina realizes, Oh, there were other people in my life who really, really did care about me. Yeah. And I've just been blind to that. And that was a nice little moment uh, to have to say, like, yeah, the situations that we get into do kind of blind us to the things that if we thought about them would give us some strength to get through them a little bit better. Obviously, it would have been nice to have more signs of you know his family being loving before that point, but I believe the point of it was that she could not see them. Yeah, so. she couldn't see it, so we couldn't see it. Uh, Makoto does a much more has a very mature reaction, honestly, to the whole thing. Uh, it takes him a little while to get to get to it, but. Given <laughs> what the actual situation was, you give like, I, I give him credit for like, doing it all. It's <laughs> it's not like uh, Gengaku Picasso, where like everyone in this classroom has to sit down and accept this reality of things. It's just fucking Makoto just and the nurse, technically, but just right. Makoto is the only one who's like, "I'm sorry." So hold on, you switch bodies. Then in her body, without her knowledge, fucked me without telling me what it is. Then you continued to date me and fuck me over and over again while pretending to be her. All the while, she was over in your body fucking wandering the streets having sex with other... Hold on. I just... like, And no one else is going to know about this is what you're saying. I have to take this secret to the grave. I have to keep yes. this trauma inside. Because if, yes. I te- if I tell a doctor, they're going to assume I'm a saint. Like, you've cursed me is what you've done. No one will believe you. <laughs> so he does... I mean, like... Esp- even if you had not like took all that out, he comes to a pretty cool reaction, which is he's like, listen, Ren, who has been avoiding him for a lot of this. He goes to him and is like, listen, Ren, I'm sorry that I did not take your confession seriously. And I did not believe you when you told me you were gay and I thought you were joking with me. That said, I'm sorry. I can't be with you. And it's like, that's, he, he handles it about as, perfectly as yeah. anyone could possibly handle it. And it's like, oh, that was, that's nice. Also that he, you know, conveniently left out all the parts that he had been very directly wrong yeah. on the sequence of events leading up to. I think he punches Ren once, and that's kind of it. Yeah, but it's kind of like a friendly so, like, and then I, I feel like I feel like he says he has to take the blame of some of it. And I'm like, I don't really think you do in this scenario you really don't have ignorance a lot of this (laughs) yeah i guess you could say that he should feel bad about responding to that initial confession that way but 
I mean, even that seems like a pretty ticky tack way of trying to be like, I guess I have a fault in all of this. <laughs> I mean, he took ownership of the things he should have taken ownership yeah. of. And then a little bit more, too. <laughs> so. He's like, I, it's probably my fault. I, I shouldn't have kept asking that girl on dates and having a relationship with her. That's just on me. I, I, sh- I should have assumed that there was body swapping going on. <laughs> <laughs> I should have assumed you guys had some childhood magic power to transfer bodies with one another. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know what? I, that's really <laughs> like to just cut to the core of this series. This is a stupid premise that really is the only thing that keeps it interesting, yet is not interesting enough for me to actually, like, get into it. Like, it feels like there's so much more you could have done with this premise, but is it done? And yet, if you took it out, there would be nothing. So I don't really know what to say about this series. I really feel as if something that should have been explored more was what Hina gets out of the body swapping in the present because it is really focused on she just feels needed from it. Mm. And I know that if you change that part of it, then it changes the you know fact that it reflects how when Hina and Ren are in a romantic relationship, she's the only one getting out of it, and Ren's the only one suffering. So they've traded places, and they keep on trying to be the one who throws themselves onto the bed of spikes so that the other one can walk over their body safely. But I, in order for it to be a proper, like, you know, they switch bodies, it would have been interesting to see her enjoying Ren's social status because that's the big thing that she is freed from is the fact that she is horribly bullied and ignored by everyone, including Ren. And that's, I should say that that is actually one of the reasons that Ren feels guilt yeah. in their whole dynamic is that because he's deliberately pushed himself away from Hina, he has ignored the signs that she's been dealing with trouble and has not been helping her when he could have, if he had been there. But the only times that we've seen we really see Hina in Ren's body taking advantage of that are when she takes advantage of having a dick and when she tells off some of her bullies yeah. who are like, hey, Ren, do you want to go to karaoke with us? And he's just and he, so she in Ren's body is just like, who'd ever want to date you assholes? Basically, and it's like, oh, she got him back. Yo, that character, kind of that character shows up again later as well. And there's a scene that's so odd because we're introduced to kind of this character. He picks up the the kind of like um, like clicky high school bully girl and uh, Hina passes her in the hallway and says, hey, you should watch out. That guy's known for beating up his girlfriends. And the girl's like, what? How would you know that? And Hina just kind of walks away. He's like, well, I was part of the boys club for a little bit. But then, like, it doesn't go further. And I'm like, no, if you're really trying, I was going to say, like, if you're trying to show that you're being more responsible and getting past, pe- like, petty high school nonsense to keep people from being hurt, I feel like you need to do more there. Because she definitely ends the conversation by being like, what What are you talking about? Huh? Like, it doesn't feel like you got through to her or anything like that. That relationship doesn't go anywhere. It's basically, like, the penultimate chapter, which it happens. And then it's kind of just mm-hmm. done. And it's like, all right, that was kind of an odd scene removed from everything. Um 
But I, I'll say that there's there's like a couple things in there. People have been bringing it up. Like she does play basketball mm-hmm. in Ren's body. It actually ends up being good enough to make the girls team afterwards because she just because right, she's just gotten used to playing. So she yeah. knows how to move and stuff. Yeah. So th- there's parts of that that are that are decent. Um, I will say that the, the biggest thing I wanted to note um, I, I appreciate that there are there are some aspects of queer storytelling in here, and I was kind of excited to read something like that right now. But mm-hmm. the fact that it was such a bitter and dark and unpleasant series for most of it, of people just doing very awful things to one another, made that yeah. experience a lot more uncomfortable and unpleasant to read. So if you're if you're going into it for that reason, you, you really need to recognize that this is not like a feel-good sort of story. Like, you can work yourself all the way out to the end, but by the end, I don't know if you're really going to be super happy that these characters all got, like, really happy endings. It's it's complicated, um, but I, I think my thoughts on this series is just ultimately, like, it's not a bad series, but it's not a good one either. And for pretty much any reason you would want to read this series... I could recommend something else that we've kind of already done in its place. Like if you want a dark high school drama series, read Akadohana. If you want to read uh, a high school romance series that has a little bit of drama in it, we we did Black Flag last year or Blue Flag last Blue year. Flag. We liked it. Yeah. Which also explores LGBTQ yeah. themes. So So like, you know, and I've heard Sachan is an even bigger dumpster fire of insanity. So if all you want is stupid trash fire, apparently go read that as well. I don't know, but like when it comes to this series, I don't know how to recommend it to people unless unless you like one of those kind of genres and you you've you've scraped the bottom of the barrel and you're like, I just need more. In which case, sure. Just understand you're not reading the best of anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wish it had been better. I think that it did some things that were kind of cool. Uh, also, uh, there are some people suggesting that maybe it was canceled early, which is a possibility, I guess. But I have no idea, you know, what the I don't know the way that the story is paced and resolved. It didn't seem too rushed at the end. It felt a little bit rushed, maybe. But that could have just been like I was going to say it felt like everything was moving to its conclusion. Yeah. 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 Uh, I do think that Hina's uh, character resolution is a little bit convenient, uh, given that like. I mean, it makes sense in a way, but it just kind of seems to happen very suddenly where she basically comes to realization. Much like Naruto realized in Naruto the last that he had never really been in love with Sakura. He had only been in love with her because he was competing with Sasuke. Yeah. The story goes, oh, well, Hina wasn't actually in love with Ren. He was just the person that she wanted to be, which would have been like if that had been built up better in her time in his body. If she did really get more cases of enjoying being in his body and the kinds of advantages that afforded her, that would have been a more more interest, more satisfying resolution. But shortly after that, essentially, and this is something I don't really know how how to feel about, because on the one hand, she gets a nice ending but on the other, it happens very easily. And I don't know about the message it sends about people who are in a bad situation in their lives of just, oh, well, she just decided she could change. And so she did. <laughs> and she just immediately becomes a more outgoing person who's more popular. And it's like, oh, OK, I guess that the key to not being bullied anymore is to be good at basketball. <laughs> so, 
and she changes her hairstyle and is popular again. And when things work out with him, they things resolve in a nice note where it seems like they they get a happily ever after in their own ways. Hina ends up having a kid uh, when she's an adult, and she thinks that she sees Ren walking by one day with someone who looks like his boyfriend. So, but maybe it wasn't because, I don't know, we have to be coy about these things. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was okay, but thinking more about it, as we have during this discussion, does make me acknowledge more like, there could have been a lot of things in it that, it could, that could have been done better. So, oh well. Yep. All right, let's move on. We have like a hundred series. A lot to talk of manga about. to talk about today. We're going to start the recap portion of the manga recap with My Hero Academia chapter three hundred, which um, there's a couple of big things that do actually happen in this chapter in terms of like, oh, okay, I can see the people might have been waiting for this. Um, but I want to start with there's a lot of just like you know kind of narration that happens to kind of just set the scene of. Here are the consequences of Dobby on the news talking trash about Endeavor, all the heroes getting their asses kicked basically during the battle. Things are different now. Uh, it seems as though that the hint of the like machinery that we saw in the last chapter that someone was wearing on his wrist indicates that a lot of ordinary people have just started defending themselves with support items now. So vigilantism essentially is at a, is at an all time high now. Unfortunately, these aren't trained people, so they cause more damage than heroes in the same situation would. But nobody trusts heroes anymore. So, oh well. <laughs> On the first page, by the way, before we before I completely skip past it, <laughs> there's a bit that that's like you know talking about like oh all the villains that escaped caused bad stuff. And the existence of the Nomu was the final nail in the coffin. And there's a shot of like a horde of Nomu, <laughs> and one of them just going, "Oh me!" It's, like, it's a bizarrely comical <laughs> shot for like, and they caused all sorts of bad trouble for people. <laughs> Wash arrives on a scene late, uh, so there's a whole bunch of destruction from citizens trying to defend themselves with, uh, you know, support items and stuff, uh, but. People are like, you're too late, hero. Look at all this trouble it caused. Where were you? And Wash actually talks normally, which was more disturbing than any of that stuff. The fact that he actually talks. So, uh, then we get weekly manga recap trivia answer Yoroi Musha running like a fucking coward from the press. I, man, it's pretty brutal, right? This, so, <laughs> basically, in response to society hating heroes now, a bunch of heroes are quitting, including this guy, the number nine hero, and he tries to make himself seem all noble and uh, dignified as he does say, he's like, I see no option but to fall on my own sword and resign. And people are like, what the fuck are you saying? You're quitting when things are tough. And I'm like, yeah. And, and, <laughs> right. and like, we just don't like, this dude has not done anything in the series. We never no. saw him do anything. We, I don't even think we know what his quirk is. No. He might just be a samurai dude. He might just th fucking throw a sword. I don't know. We'll never know. He fucking quit. Throw a sword. <laughs> this fucking dude just fucking up and quit. 
So yeah, it's the most important thing Yoroi Musha has done is quit his job. <laughs> it's it's fucking announced he's a coward and left. So now that he's effectively been killed off, does this mean that we're going to get a several chapter long thing about how great and awesome he was? Oh yeah, we'll find out his bankai. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that like his his reaction to people like literally throwing things at him and booing him is to go is to think to himself, all I ever wanted was love and respect. So fuck <laughs> off. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's like, what a fucking condescending thought bubble, too. He's like, oh, but I only wanted love and respect. So it's like, so the fact that you have, like, a savings account well, that will ensure you're never going to go hungry again the rest of your life plays no factor at all in the fact that you're quitting. And not even, like, all I wanted to do was help people, which would have been a much, yeah. you know, sadder thought to have. Like, all I ever wanted to do was help people. And instead, be like, all I ever wanted was to be respected. Fuck you! That's a heel thing to say. <laughs> you guys didn't give me my love and money, and that's why I killed Ed Shot. <laughs> like, oh. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, way, I killed Ed Shot. He's dead. <laughs> You're like, shit, that was, like, the only other top ten hero that was still, like, alive. You fuck. Well, best genius was faking. Mirko lost her arm. Yeah, I'd say that out of all the top ten heroes, he's probably the one who's doing the best right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, he's the one who's got like kind of enough going for him at the moment. So, this is a much more explicit follow up to that scene we saw after the battle of the cap hero guy that Uraraka was looking at before, saying like, "Yeah, uh, a lot of heroes have quit," uh, and it's put up. Pretty simply and kind of bluntly, which is, yeah, a lot of people signed up to be heroes when it was assumed that this was a, you know, hero friendly society that wasn't super dangerous to being a hero. And now they've quit because it's way more dangerous. And we see that, you know, like even like someone to even like put very friendly graffiti because <laughs> it's just like a sign yeah. around the statue's neck. There's not a single point. penis on it, so I'm, I'm feeling like it's not very authentic graffiti. It implies that there was like one person who decided to to make a statement, but they're like, yeah, but I mean, I wanted to get a lot of attention, so I'll put it on the All Might statue, but All Might is pretty cool. They're so. like, a lot... A, scul a sculptor put a lot of work into a statue, and it would be very... It, it would be uncouth to me to deface it in any way, but I will present my, statement, my statement in an appropriate manner. Actually, it's not, not even a, a statement. A clever turn of phrase, really. <laughs> I am not here. <laughs> it's like, also one of those things where it's like, I mean, it's not All Might's fault that he can't fight. <laughs> yeah, it's not All Might's fault that he basically lost his powers and, and has become like, uh, like half like dead in everything he does. But I like the... Like, there was a group of crowd of people like protesting. They were like, move down with heroes. And one person started scaling the All Might sign, uh, statue and they had a spray can. And they were like, no, fuck you. What are you doing? Yeah. No. Oh, they, they, they start throwing things at that guy, knocking him down. I like to think the guy put the statue around it, like put the sign around the statue. And he just sat back. He's like, yes, <laughs> I have properly put forth all of my displeasure. And now I shall go to work. <laughs> like, and like, he just goes wait, back home. Wait. Like, goes over to a trash can and empties out, like, a third of it. And then kind of, like, leans the trash can a little bit. And then takes a photograph of it. Yeah. He's like, ah, right, there. And then he puts the trash back in the trash 
but the thing that, uh, honestly, I was most interested in this chapter is that, hey, Stain made an appearance after he didn't make an appearance during the prison break. But no, he, he's he's not in there. Uh, he manages to find what I believe actually is his sword, but could just honestly be something from like a pawn shop or, or something like that. So he's he's escaped. He's at large. Um, and uh, now from there, it's time to check up on Endeavor, who has uh, regained consciousness and he sees the crowd of very upset people outside and he's just kind of left to wallow in his own guilt. We see uh, uh, Toad of the Mushroom Kingdom uh, is his doctor and uh, he he's really it's nice. terminal. He's really like, nice to Endeavor, honestly. Like, I really don't understand why the Mushroom Kingdom Hospital is the one they went to. Toad Yoshi. Like, if the next doctor shows up, it's just like, Woohoo! It's gotten into your lymphos! Woohoo! I just did a bump jump, like, backflip out of the room. There's all these, all these Mushroom Kingdom doctors, but no Dr. Mario. What the fuck? Let <laughs> me put this giant pill in your throat. <laughs> oh, man. So, um... Endeavor is not just in a funk because of all the shit that Dobby did, but also he's, you know, been drugged up. So his mind's not all there, too. So it kind of makes it seem like his mental defenses are down because he's not all there right now. So he just starts to really despair over what the hell is going on. And he thinks back to how he mistreated Dobby as a kid uh, and he just puts it really bluntly of like, my son's a mass murderer, but I, I, yet I can't bring myself to fight him. And he acknowledges that he froze up when one of his sons was in danger, just like what happened when ending had Natsu before. And so he starts to tear up and like really just throw a bit of a pity party. And at that moment, uh, Shoto arrives at the door and he's about to call, call out to his dad and then he sees his dad's crying and he's be like, uh, no, no. <laughs> slams the door. I'm not going to deal with this. But uh, Shoto's siblings are with him. And so they're, you know, checking on him and Natsu gets immediately kind of tough and sarcastic because that's kind of what he's done with Endeavor so far. And Endeavor is just like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize until now that you know all this stuff that i feel the regrets and the guilt it's too late for it to even matter in my heart it's and then we get the chapter title the hellish Todoroki family part two as ray shoto and his sibling's mother is there too and so back when we had the whole beginnings of the endeavor redemption arc i think that there were a lot of people who are waiting for this exact confrontation to happen. Not just, oh, Endeavor and Ray have to work some stuff out directly, but she's kind of got to be an ass back to him mm. and make him acknowledge that he has got shit to do and that he's fucked up. Because her first words to him as he's going, my heart is, and what about your heart? Those regrets and guilt that you're feeling the rest of us have borne that burden much more than you have. And Endeavor is shocked to see her. He makes a face 
which is quite a face. And she says, I'm here to talk about our family and about our son, Toya. So shit's happening. And as yep. we continue this uh, aftermath of the battle, I'm uh, really looking forward to the next chapter and seeing where this goes. Yeah, we've been getting some really good fallout. Uh, it does feel like status quo has been pretty significantly shaken up. I mean, the number nine hero just retired. So obviously some big things are going to shake up at the top 10 at some point. Yeah, um, I mean, crust. How are we going to replace? Yeah, crust? we got to replace. Cr- oh my god, the number six and the number nine. My two favorite numbers, except for eight and seven, four, three, two, one, and five. Um, it was Ryuki was ten. Yeah, she battle. She got kind of fucked up, but she, I think, didn't get permanently fucked up. She looked pretty badly injured, but presumably she can recover. Uh, Yoroi Musha just retired. Wash is fine because he was—he's just a rescue kind of hero, so he wasn't even at the battle. Seven is Ed shot. I... People are saying she lost a limb, or maybe that's Mir- Mirko Mir- lost a limb. But people are saying maybe Ryuku lost a limb as well. She got—I mean, Shigaraki did punch his hand through her her hand when she was in dragon form to throw the bullets. But I don't think that her arm got ripped off or anything. Okay. Mirko's got her arm ripped off. Crust is dead. Edshot is fine. Uh, Best Genus is now fine. He's back. Hawks had his wings burned off, but it's implied that he's going to get better. And Endeavor is in the bed right now. I think that covers everyone. Is Kamui so, Woods yeah. one of the Love heroes? Really fucked up, so. Is Kamui Woods one of the, the top ten? Yes. I think I, he's fine, too. I believe he was injured. I thought there was a shot of him getting fucked up during the fight. He was, I think, part of the field battle because he was I, he was around when Mount Lady was struggling with uh, Gigantomachia. Yeah. But he was definitely not among the ones that were counted as the dead uh, when that okay. happened. So he's presumably going to be OK. Yeah. So. All right. Um, I will just say I like this chapter. I like the end of it quite a lot. And uh, let's move on to Kaiju number eight. Yes, Kaiju number eight, chapter 25. Uh, Hoshina is now squaring off with the humanoid Kaiju that is leading all of these Drake types. And uh, the humanoid Kaiju just goes, who's the strongest one at the base? And Hoshina's like, well, the captain's out, so it's me. So immediately the human kaiju is like, all right, then you'll be my prey. And he makes a flicking motion and fires like an air bullet, presumably at Hoshino, which he dodges uh, immediately. Like they're, the, the scouter is reading that he's super powerful. Uh, essentially, he's Daikaiju class. Hoshina uh, starts issuing orders over the radio so that he can get that out of the way and then focus on fighting this thing. Uh, and, uh, he avoids like a, a punch after the thing is dashed behind him. And he's like, all right, I got to kill this one myself. I'm the only one who can take it. And then the cross slits on the humanoid Kaiju's forehead open up like another mouth, which has a glowing thing inside of it, uh, which appears to be it issuing like radio signal commands to the, the uh, Drake type Kaiju. Uh, they continue fighting uh, Hoshina is avoiding the blows barely, it seems, but like the shockwave from the attacks is causing buildings to explode around him. So he's like, if one of these punches me, I'm going to die. 
So I cannot let it hit me. He manages to get a hidden with some of his swords, but he can't scratch it. And so he realizes this thing is even harder than number eight. And uh, so uh, things seem like this thing is going to be pretty tough. We cut away from that right away, though, to uh, a lot of the uh, recruits trying to fight the uh, Yonju uh, and Kafka back at the base is getting in his military gear. And so he starts telling everyone, hey, listen, the, these are the same type of kaiju that we recorded back in 03. So frontal attacks don't work. You got to aim for their backs because uh, the skin in front acts as a shield and their cores are, are somewhere near the back. They don't, they don't have a lot of weight there in order to reduce their weight so that they can fly. Fair enough. So this does seem to suggest what we were talking about last week where it's like Kafka has been just studying. Up. Yeah. This, this one felt like a more close example to what he was doing before. Whereas last week felt like bad movie dialogue. Like one of those things like, hey, six characters are on this trip. We can't have the main character have all the knowledge. So I don't know. We brought like a nerdy science girl. I guess she should say that, even though it's a fact that fucking anybody on this team should have probably known. It seems, I guess, more natural for Kafka to have the anatomical expertise. Yeah. Because that ties into his big making moment before. So with this knowledge, the recruits start taking proper action. And they're like, all right, I'll be the decoy. Haruichi... You take the shot. And so Haruichi gets his sniper rifle out. He starts unleashing his combat potential so that he can uh, fire a big shot. But another one comes up behind him from around the corner of a building and he has to dodge the fire that it shoots out. And they're just like, the Kaiju are teaming up. We, we can't find an opening to get a shot at their backs. The others just get in the way whenever we can, before we can get a clear shot. And so... Like, what can we do? We can't get to their backs. And over the radio, someone says, there's one other way. And it's Kikoru. And she and they're like, what are you talking about? What way? And so she comes bursting in and she's like, you just have me use my awesome power. And she comes flying in with a freaking axe, smashes through the armor on one of them and takes it out. And she's like, just have me use my devastating power to chop through them from the front. And that's where we end the chapter with her posing with this massive axe. It is a pretty sweet way to like end the chapter with this gigantic axe word. And it's like uh, this thing of like, hold on, wait, I, I, I know another way. Like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the answer is like, we're going to hit it with something fucking huge, gigantic, just fucking huge. That's it. It's, it's not like a bigger logic than that. We're going to hit it harder. And I'm like, you know what? That's fine. And I understand it's actually pretty funny. Uh, Kaiju number eight in our Discord often gets called Diet World Trigger. And every time it does this get a little bit of a laugh, this is like a Konami moment. But I will take it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Listen, if World Trigger needs to go on breaks for Ashikara's health, we might as well have the diet version every week, okay? <laughs> So yeah, uh, I thought this was a great chapter. Uh, yeah, it has a very imposing figure for Hoshina for uh, Hoshina to take on. Kafka got to demonstrate a little bit of know-how in a way that was a bit more satisfying than last week. And yeah, Shimio got to do something really cool for the first time in a little while. So I liked it. Yep. 
I like it a lot. All right, Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero, <laughs> chapter 129. So we Wait, could Chris, smile brighter. family chapter. No, we didn't. So we could smile brighter. We had a <laughs> spy family joke that went on eight pages. <laughs> Oops. Hold uh, on a second. All right, there we go. All right. So, yeah, chapter 129. So we could smile brighter. And I will say this this is actually uh, a decent cover page. Uh, I don't particularly like Chris, Chris's superhero pose, but the actual clean shot was actually a decent piece of art from uh, Hero, so I'll give him that. Anyway, as you mentioned before the show, our heroes have fast-traveled back to their ships and are basically yeah. doing a phone call to finish up their conversation. It's, um, got, it's so... Because Elsie says, literally, I see all of us made it safely back to our ships. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, hey, is everyone okay? And it's like, yes, our ship has the greatest med- medical technology and yours has uh, sisters. So, we, yeah, we're all fine. Um, and it's weird because it, it, it feels like there's a conversation happening between Eden Zero and Fairy Tale because it's just Elsa in her old fucking bandage top fucking yeah. form. And the one dude looks like fucking Elfman. In certain shots where he's like face is head on, he looks like he has the exact same face and hairstyle. So it's really unnerving that way. Uh, they basically explain like, wow, it's crazy that Justice guy was that strong. You're like, well, he is a member of the Eurasian Six Interstellar. And it's like, are they a big deal? Yeah, they rival us, the Eurasian Six Galactica. And Shiki's like, awesome. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Stop making me try to care about these groups. So there was that crossover manga that happened a year ago, I think, where all of Hero's big series crossed over. So, mm-hmm. you know, Natsu and Shiki and Haru. Yeah, they all met up and there were a few other characters from all the series that met up and stuff. Uh, but I wonder if the Eurasian Sace got name dropped. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that did happen because it has to be like, you guys have an Eurasian Six too? Like, we had like four. <laughs> Like it kept coming back. We had a real race on six <laughs> and a big one. Um anyway, so they basically are like, hey, yeah, it's pretty tough, but you know what? Um I guess in the end those those justice guys were actually a pretty helpful bunch. And I'm like, eh, I don't all right, sure. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know if that's really the way I'd phrase it, but fine. Uh but Elsie's like, hey, you guys do your thing. We're gonna continue going after Ziggy. Uh, he did come to this cosmos, so we're on the right track. Boop, cuts the call. Laguna's there, and he's like, you guys know Elsie? And they're like, yeah. He's like, you're idiots. You definitely should have had her help you fight Dragon Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, shut up. And he's like, all right, idiots. Maybe the next time you have a mutual enemy, you should bring her along, but whatever. <laughs> um, Laguna walks away, and they're just like, why are you even still here at a ship? And he just says, until I accomplish my goal. Until then, I'll just keep playing the part of the man who has no goal. And I'm like, mm, all right. Uh, then there's... It's a, bit, it's a little bit confusingly worded. Yeah, I, I was going to assume the Japanese wasn't easy to translate there. Um, anyway, there's a joke where Moscoy meets up with the girl who eats a bunch of food. And they make a bunch of jokes about uh, them eating the food. There's a weird exchange where she's like, hey, you're one of the people who kidnapped us. And Moscow's like, no, you're mistaken. And then she's like, I can't believe free, for, uh, sweet little Shiki to be friends with you. Anyway, eat up. And I'm like, yep, that's how a human would have a conversation. <laughs> they would be like, hey, weren't you one of the people who tried to kidnap me? You don't, I don't, I'm surprised someone would be friends with you. Anyway, eat all of my food, please. <laughs> they bond over being 
fellow husky characters who like to eat a lot. Yep. Uh, anyway, which shows up little girl who's sad about her dead robot has like a big plate of food with a bunch of like hearts and stuff in it. And, uh, they're all like, Hey, it's just like, Hey, or which is like, Hey, you're going to eat. And she's like, well, probably not. Cause I, I asked them to show me where egg robot died. She doesn't call it egg robot. It had a name apparently, no. but it's, it's, it's egg robot. That's all it's ever going to be. And she pulls up like her iPhone that has a picture of her hugging egg robot on the front. <laughs> Every time I see that robot, I laugh. I'm a fucking boss. I'm a boss, but it makes me laugh so hard. She just like she's like she like flips through the gallery, and you can see in slow motion a bullet coming from the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you look closely, you can see the exact moment. My heart breaks. <laughs> and there. I stopped taking pictures right after that. I hope the robot's okay. Like, uh. Um, also, I'm not sure why the child is on the ship. I guess everyone else she knows was maybe hurt, but it does seem like they've kidnapped this child. <laughs> but anyway. No, no. She doesn't have a mom or dad. Listen, when you find an orphan on the street and you just take them home with you, that means they're yours. Yeah. Well, Eggbot was her family. <laughs> Eggbot was everything to her. It was her mother, her father, sister and brother, her dog, really, in a lot of ways. That that robot was everything. A great target. It, it was everything in the family you need. <laughs> if this girl does stick around, and I can't imagine why, other than just... It's a hero series, and he loves having groups that have dozens upon dozens of characters in them. Yeah. Uh, if she does stick around, it would be nice to get a moment to acknowledge, like, hey, would you like to stay with us? Because if that never comes up, then it is really going to be <laughs> like, oh, so they did just, these pirates just took this girl with them. Yeah, it doesn't feel like anyone's addressed, like, would you like to stay in your home? Because we have made it better. And we also, at the end of it, kind of address that. We're going to need to see if the relations between human and robots on this planet can ever get better and be nice to have someone on the ground level who we kind of have familiar level oh, with. Back, bye. <laughs> we'll never go back here. <laughs> uh, anyway, sister basically, or witch rather, is just like, hey, you know what? I lost a friend too, and it's very sad. And you can't cry all the time because if you do, then your friend up in heaven will basically be sad. So you have to smile sometimes. That way they can smile in heaven as well. And it's a sweet little conversation, basically. Um, it's good. Yeah. Um, and she, and she's also like, well, but she's a robot. Does that mean she can be in heaven? And we're just like, our friend was a robot too. And so, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, that's actually really nice. <laughs> uh, everyone goes over. They're like, hey, what's this fucking old ass dead robot doing here? And Cheeky's like, that's my master. <laughs> and they're like, Wait, no, your master, like, Master Xenolith is a hero from legend. He can't still be alive. And I'm like, oh, he's still alive. And he wakes back up, and he's like, okay, woohoo, I'm here. Ooh, and we have some fresh little fillies. I'm like, mm. <laughs> uh, He basically explains, like, hey, I was worried about the download fucking me up, so I basically cloud storaged my personality, and I downloaded it back. Anyway, all you have to do, Shiki, in order to become a samurai master is just let the download complete. Yeah, and turn just... your eight stat into an infinity. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so stupid. I forgot it turned a little late into an infinity. <laughs> little did you know, 
The greatest power of a samurai was rotate 90 degrees clockwise. I mean, you remember what what one of the stats was too, right? I mean, gravity was one of them. Yeah. yeah. So- it pulls everything together, Nick. I mean, it could pull... Fuck, can you imagine if Shiki, with his gravity, pulls a dead series back into the living and he goes to Samurai 8 world? <laughs> it could happen. Gravity could do anything. Anyway, Wise shows up to talk to Chris and is basically like, hey, I met the guy who abused you and your sister. And Chris is like, what the fuck? I gotta go kill him. And they're like, no, we killed him. Sorry you guys have been through a lot. Which comes out. Her sister, rather. It's like, hey, what's the house clean? Sister's like, you see. And she's like, pops out. And she's like, my heart was in darkness. I couldn't show my emotions well. But now the sun is out in my heart. It feels nice, like a gentle breeze. And she smiles, which is good. You know? Um, it's very, very nice to see her doing better. Uh, I do think it's interesting that, like, the first thing she does is wax poetic. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I have emotions now, and therefore I talk flowery. <laughs> yeah, we all we all have that. We all have to talk in a little bit of purple prose every now and then. Uh, anyway, the, the chapter basically ends with Chris being like, "Okay, great, she's all better now. I searched all this way throughout the galaxy to find someone who could make her better. Now I have. So I'm so glad you pulled through." And he smiles and cries. It's a very up and down chapter. Like there are some really nice bits in this in this chapter of Eden Zero that do make me go like God, this could be a good series. It could be. And there is just like the whole freaking thing with with Zeno and he calls the girls fillies, which is so creepy. And then there's the just like look at the fat people eat scene, and it's just God. Even a good chapter of Eden Zero has stuff in it that just makes you go, why is it this way? It's so dumb. So, Yeah. Um, I'll say, in the grand scheme of things, I think this was a better chapter than most Eden Zero chapters, just because there were a couple decent parts to it. It was also, I mean, I know Eden Zero is kind of a hero series in general. They're so notorious for their breakneck pace. Uh, but this one actually did feel like pretty packed on content at the very least so even the parts that were kind of mediocre are kind of done and over so i do like that this was the conclusion to the whole chris and clean thing even though i thought that could have gone on a little bit longer we get the mm-hmm. the foreshadowing tease that there's something the is looking for out there xenoliths now on the group the conversation with the uh, witch and the little girl um you know everything felt like it kind of had a role to play in this moment and it, it was it was fine but there's yeah there are a couple weird moments as well but i guess because because there's so much bad stuff in fair air in uh, zero usually i'm kind of like looking past it and being like i like those parts a good bit so 10 yeah. out of 10 best chapter of the week <laughs> i don't know about it yeah <laughs> uh, all right let's move on to our newer series uh starting with the elusive samurai chapter three revenge 1333 so Tokiyuki is fighting with his uncle, the one who was responsible for killing his brother. And uh, so he is spring around avoiding uh, his uncle's strikes while the two young warriors who I think might get named. In they, this chapter, they do get named in this chapter like once. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember where it is later in the chapter. Uh, Kojiro and Ayako. I don't know which one's supposed to be which. I think Kojiro is the... Uh, I think Ayako is the one with the halberd, and Kojiro is the one who used the sword. 
Uh, that is likely if we are to believe that uh, the one with the sword is a boy and the one with long hair is a girl, which I don't know. Uh, I could, I could kind I look at them and I think that they're both a little bit and also they're young. So it's kind of difficult to tell that apart, but anyhow, so um, they are trying to defend Tokiyuki from these attacks and because they're so focused on that, they can't really actually fight the guy, even though it's a three-on-one fight. Uh, we also, while this is going on, get just a bit of a recap just to reiterate, hey, this guy was a complete monster. You know, he turned on, he, like, not only do you see that he killed, he turned in uh, his nephew to the Ashikaga, he jumped on him pummeled his face and then held up his bloodied body before they cut his head off. Like this is a monster. So they're trying to fight this guy, but they can't really actually make any, uh, get the advantage on him. So Yorishige calls to the two experienced warriors, Kojiro and Naoko and says, fall back. And they're like, okay, but are, are you sure we, we need to protect him? And they're like, no, no, stay here. Watch, watch closely. And you can and you will see who truly has the power to adapt to these turbulent times. And as they watch, they see that Tokyuki is on the defense throughout the fight, but he is very cleanly dodging all of the attacks that come his way. And uh, Yoroshige's daughter even observes he also looks like he's having fun in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, so Yoroshige, they, they're like, yeah, I mean, the way that he's moving you can't actually learn to do that through training. His elusiveness is heaven sent. And Yorishige says he's not cowardly. He enjoys running. One wrong move means fatal injury in a fight, and capture means instant death. His monstrous survival instincts allow him to enjoy such trials from the bottom of his heart, but what impresses most is how he is otherwise a normal person. Even though he runs, he will not abandon the fight to avenge his older brother. And through this, Yorishige says, like, this is why he can be the one to change history is that he has this special way of fighting. And he tells, he you know, asks of the younger people in the entourage, would you not enjoy serving such a lord? And Ayako and Yorishige and, uh, and Kojiro are like, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I hope we can be friends. And Yorishige says, OK, and re-enter the fray. But know that you do not need to protect him. Trust in his ability to dodge. But when it comes to offense, he's exceedingly weak. So go and create an opening for him to strike. And we see when Tokyuki tries to actually swing his sword, he just goes from to <laughs> the sound effect of Florp. <laughs> Florp is the best sound effect, by the way. So. Tokyuki's uncle is getting frustrated from the fact that he can't manage to even get close to striking him. And he's like, it's what really irritates me about this is not the fact that he dodges and barely attacks, but his eyes. If even the most formidable warrior were to continually run and hide from this kid, death would eventually catch him in its jaws. And at that moment, Kojiro and Ayako join the battle and he's forced to defend himself from their attacks and they, although he's blocking them, they drive him back towards Tokiyuki with his back to Tokiyuki. And they're saying, instead of defending our lord from the opponent, 
we will offer the enemy to our fleet-footed lord. And slowly they press the advantage and press the advantage. And eventually they get him on his knees. And presumably Kojiro steps on his sword hand to hold him down and signals to Tokyuki, who leaps into the air. And he thinks to himself as he leaps, brother, father, people of Kamakura, severing this head is not enough but at least it will make a nice souvenir along the road to death, which holy shit, <laughs> that's a lie. And uh, he remembers the last words, some of the last words that his brother spoke to him, which were, you could be a hero as he fucking cuts his uncle's head off and it bounces off the ground in a bloody splurt. And, uh, we don't really stick around on that scene at all. We they're, They've got to keep on moving so they don't get caught. So they start like breaking their way through some of the thick foliage as they're trying to make their way to safety. And Yorishige starts talking to Tokiyuki and he says, hey, how do you feel after your first battle? He's like, eh, I mean, I'm not sure. I felt like I just ran around until his neck was bare before me. And then he thanks the people who helped him out. And Yorishige says, winning this game requires two things. For you to be a valuable general the enemy prioritizes in battle, and reliable comrades to be your katana. To maintain those things, never lose your pride as the last surviving Hojo, and set an inspiring example for others. If you do that, you can defeat any demon. And Tokiyuki is like, alright, I understand, I'll fight, and one day I will return to Kamakura. And then I will defeat the Ashikaga! And he throws his sword dramatically and a wolf comes out of nowhere and starts harassing him. And so Tokiyuki runs away from it. And it's a very weird scene to kind of close on before we just get the like, and they're now beginning their journey on the final page. I don't really, I don't really like the whole wolf thing. The rest of this chapter, I did quite like. Yeah, it's a pretty dope chapter, I feel like. Um I mentioned last week that I was like, this is the week that's going to kind of show us whether like what this premise really is going to be and how its legs are. Um, and at first I was kind of like, all right, I don't know if it blew me away, but the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I liked it. Um, and I, I absolutely still love just the style of this series so much. Like just the, the single page shot of the, the uncle's head being cut off and his head has the Oni horns on it is just so well done. And you normally the series has a ton of background work done or a bunch of speed lines but that panel is basically nothing but a handful of feathers and then that shot it's it's just so well executed <laughs> pun intended um and i liked it a lot I, I thought it was pretty good um kind of mostly where you are in terms of like it was weird so as i started to read the chapter i just kind of got this sense building up in me it was mostly at the point where yorishi right where yorishige called them away is like hey listen don't focus on defending him so much rely on his ability that i was like oh i'm starting to feel like this could work mm -hmm. and the end of the battle itself i think that this is just the baseline to start from because the actual kill and just like oh well they just harassed him until they got an opening and then took you just killed him there's not a lot that goes into that it's more just getting the general idea of what's going on over so the actual singular example of what happened didn't really do a whole lot for me but the idea that it was getting across did really appeal to me um 
But yeah, the more that I actually look into it, going through it a second time, this one you go like, I do really like the way that this unfolds and yeah. the way it's built up. Uh, so yeah, I quite enjoyed it. And I felt as though like, okay, if you get three chapters to get your premise across, we were kind of worried that it wasn't. Well, now it's like, yeah, all right. I feel like you did. So, All right. Now this is the big question. When it comes yes. to three chapters for a jumpstart, we have to decide whether we're going to keep it in the magazine or in the recap or not. Um, I feel positively about this. Okay. Um, not super positively, uh, but uh, I feel as though it would be worth uh, checking out. Yeah, I would like to keep it around. I feel like uh, obviously there wasn't a simul pub for Assassination Classroom at the time, but mm-hmm. I feel like there was always a part of the podcast that was kind of missing by not talking about Assassination Classroom. So I like I would like to follow this series. All right, we will be continuing along with. But Houston that said. Are you going to veto the thing you feel positively about? I do have the veto in the bank that I can use at any time I want, Nick! Yes. So are you going to screw yourself over? No. I just wanted to show okay. I had the power. <laughs> I mean, I kind of had a sense you might do something like that. I was like, if you're not going to... <laughs> I just want to show that I can. As the reigning defending veto in the bank champion, I have the power to at any time change so just note that okay okay i i, I all right you, okay now it's going back in the back yeah, all right yeah, i get it okay yeah. yeah and i paid for dolph ziggler's theme song so that i could have it <laughs> <laughs> i could have it at a moment's notice you'll never know when i'm gonna strike this is like i don't really want to bother going skipping the ad on youtube and i can't figure yeah out I, 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 I can't i can't trust youtube so <laughs> um all right I tell C, chapter two, Jewel. Um, look at the killer in the creepy prologue thing. Uh, we're going to check in I, on Ayoi, who s- says, like, oh, Mr. Suzuki, I want to see you. You're the serial arsonist in the next town, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, and we find out that because uh, she's like, oh, do you want do you don't, don't you want to be with me? And he's like, go away. And she's, like, refusing to leave while he's, like, yelling at her through the radio outside his apartment. And then she's like, okay, I'm just going to leave my photo here. And then he turns himself in the way that all of Ioe's subjects do. Uh So we see Sakan and Ukon talking about that at the, uh, I don't know, police force, I don't know. It's, (laughs) this chapter... (laughs) <laughs> was very strange for a couple reasons. One, I feel like it was mentioned last week, but it's it's you know I feel like it's mentioned again here that uh, these two are twin brothers, which doesn't make sense. Not are because they, they don't there's they do say twin brothers they're at twins, one point. Are. Oh my god! <laughs> so I was like, it is weird that they're twins. Not because they don't look alike. I don't care about that part. But that one is clearly like the entrenched superior, and the other one's kind of like a newbie. <laughs> so I didn't quite get that. Uh, but also this chapter, not to like kind of jump ahead of it, but it's 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 so much of like thrust upon the idea of like she has this dangerous way of doing it. She's poison fighting poison. There's a danger that she's so unorthodox. She loves these criminals. If there's another cop to stop her, she will just throw herself into harm's way because that's what she does. Uh, but she is a member of this the police department. And I like 
I know it's a manga. I know it's like silly and turned up to 11, but I do like want to see the police commissioner who's just like, yes, get Yandere detective on the case. We <laughs> we need more silliness here. Get me a dog detective. <laughs> like, like just constantly fucking like making it as wacky as possible. He's like, where's my robot? <laughs> There's not like, there are a few regular detectives, but they're always paired with the weird detective. So like, there's hardboiled cop and dolphin is yeah. on this force. There's Every, everyone. It's just a crazy pairing of like a wacky person and then some very straight laced normal character. And then it's like, sir, has this led to an increase in solved cases? Like, no, but it has led to a drastic increase in damages around the city, and that's something we can be proud of. Less place, less physical locations. That's less places for crimes to take place. Uh, so Sakon makes the mistake of when Aoi is, uh, investigating the Lolita serial murders, uh, cause you know, Ukon's like, yeah, she's probably talking about the perp. Uh, and Sakon's like, oh, so she's got her eyes set on the perp right now. Who is it? You've got to tell us. And she's like, why would I do that? That'll get him in trouble. I don't want him to be caught. I want to be with my new beloved. And so she steps out and she's like, and so Sakon decides to follow her because he thinks that she might, you know, be going to see the, you know, the suspect. And she's like, no, I'm going to the clothing store to dress up in Lolita clothing so that I'll suit the culprit's taste. How do I look? And there's this really weird reaction panel that's in a completely different art style. And he doesn't say anything. It just... Well, no, wait. He says in the background, shopping while on duty is outrageous, but in much more legible writing, he just goes, fume, fume, fume. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, so there's Mark talking that happens between IOE and uh, Sakon, and uh, she, like, she said, mentions to him, like, hey, so all three of the victims were abducted on the way home. But this, there was a sleeping aid detected in their systems. Who do you think could have gotten a person on their way home to ingest a sleeping aid? And so me, like, the person who took them home. <laughs> yeah, it's it, I like for the moment they were doing it. I was like a traveling drugged ice cream man. I like I don't know what that's implying. <laughs> Taxi immediately after that, and I'm like. Gee, I wonder where this could be going. Now, she doesn't, it doesn't happen right away. She does just take a taxi for yes. a bit. Um, but she takes like a pack of tissues and she gives the pack of tissues to Sakon, which I believe is her being like, Go cry about this somewhere else so I don't have to deal with you whining about me not solving the case for you. I thought that was her clue. Maybe. That was, that was her clue. Like, who could have gotten something to a person on their way hey, look, home? And she's like, yeah, yeah, this thing I got for free with just by, like taking a taxi or whatever, you know? Sakon, you had to pass a test to be a detective, right? Well, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. It's like, I... I I, I'm on board with the series in the first chapter where it's like, yeah, she has this weird way of doing things. But the fact that she knows who the killer is and she's like 
giving the other police force detective riddles to solve this. Like, all right, that's where I have an issue. Like, you you know every detail about this case, but you're like, solve this case using riddles. If you don't, I will probably be killed. <laughs> like, <laughs> it sort of feels like if this girl, because she has a wall full of pictures of the people that have run away from her. It seems as though someone would have made the decision at a certain point to establish a task force to interpret the information that she gives them so they can help catch the killer. And obviously, if she's not going... I mean, she clearly doesn't want this person to be caught, but she also doesn't seem to have a problem with giving little hints like this. Yeah. So... So... Sakon gives a little bit of backstory about he and Ukon because he's like, dad accepted a criminal into his life and ended up dead because of it, which seems to suggest that their mom or stepmom or something like that was a criminal, which seems to indicate that all the important female characters in this series might be bad people. Uh, So (laughs) also Ukon gets super dramatic about this when Sakon brings it up because he's like, don't bring dad into this. That idea of dad's was also a kind of poison, the kind that drives you to your demise. That'd be great if he was like, yes, I know, but our dad's plan to become a Yatterin stalker detective wasn't going to work because he was 50. (laughs) (laughs) He just shows up in a gobbledygook dress like... Oh, let's go shopping with like a big knife. Someone's like, I'm calling the police. It's like, I am the police. Like, no, I'm just going to shoot you then. I have to end this conversation. They get word at that moment that someone has broken into a taxi cab company. And they check out the security camera feed as Ioe is just sneaking around with not a care in the world. And she's going through like records and stuff and knows that there is a camera watching her and makes no effort to hide the fact that it's her. When like you would think that she would know that if people are watching her, then that'll help them catch the killer that she doesn't want to be caught. So she lays out some employee records on a desk in front of her and she centers on one of them and goes, oh, I found you. And Sakon goes, but that makes her hint even more cryptic. No, it doesn't. (laughs) She got in a taxi and she gave you something from the taxi and she's in a taxi company room looking at employee records. (laughs) So Sakon's like, oh, I got it. Candy. Our guy leaves candy with a sleeping aid and he's a taxi driver who offers it to people on their way back home. And we see that the guy is very obvious about it because he's like, ah, you see the candies in front of you? You can take as many candies as you want. It's, it's like so unnerving. You're like, I would definitely not take a candy at that point. Like somebody was like, hey, you see those un unmarked candies back there? Definitely you should eat those. I'd be like, Look, the best case scenario is those are prank candies and I eat one and it tastes like fucking skunk spray or something like that. I'm certainly not eating them now. Not since where to, Stephanie, has there ever been a case of, I don't want this person taking me home, actually. (laughs) You know what? The car's not moving yet, so I'm going to get out. 
Ellie, of course, has gotten into the killer's taxi. And now Sakona's like, this case taught me a lesson, a lesson of the dangers that come when you try to fight poison with poison. Because, of course, Ayali wants to be caught by this by this killer. And she's like very obviously eating one of the candies. Now, I'm sure then the next chapter is going to turn out that she didn't take the candy. She's pretending to be caught so that she can be with her love, but not get murdered or something like that. She's fully in control of the situation or she took an antidote or whatever. I don't know, but <laughs> she took an antidote to chloroform. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> that so, would be fucking awesome. <laughs> she's going to be like, I'm immune to all types of poison. Yeah, oh yeah. She just says some shit like, I dripped fucking chloroform into my mouth every day until I built up an immunity. Listen, her irises are perpetually heart shaped. You don't know anything about this woman's physiology, okay? That is true. So this is. This this series is looking dumber by the minute, which means that that briefcase behind you is worrying me a little bit. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like I can take this. I feel like I can take this because the flaws are so much more. Well, this is stupid. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to dissuade you from using it. I don't know. It's. <laughs> I mean, it would be early in the year to use it. I feel like, yeah, you never Boy. know when something worse will come along. But at the same time. This could be the next time Paradox Ghost Rider. Like, this... Look, here's the thing. I mentioned last week um, when we talked about Elusive Samurai that I was like, look, this is going to go one way or the other next week. Like, next chapter is going to be a make it or break it. And I, I feel like the same is true here because we're going to see how this poison versus poison thing resolves and how Seikon's role and her roles kind of play is she in control or is she risking the chance of being sort of the damsel here or, or or something like that I feel like we're about to see something happen here and it could go one way where it's like okay that was decent it could end up being like nah that's kind of dumb or not very good or something like that or it could be batshit and I have fingers crossed that this is going to be crazy batshit because I want fucking garbage to talk about. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed, I guess, because the first chapter raised a lot of question marks in terms of I don't really know how I feel about the themes that we're dealing with in this. But we're already past the shock of that now. Mm-hmm. And now we're dealing with. Well, there seem to be a lot of flaws in this supposed procedural crime series with a twist in that the mysteries are really dull and predictable. So I, I, I feel disappointed that like now it seems like the range of options has been narrowed significantly and nothing great feels like it's going to come out of this. And it's, it, it does feel bad whenever that happens this early on in a story. So, yeah. uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Uh, but only in the sense that I found ways to laugh at it. Like, again, it's one of my favorite things is just making fun of, uh, dysfunctional organizations that don't make sense. Like <laughs> I miss the days of being like, why is the soul society this stupid? And I want to do that every week with this fucking <laughs> stupid ass police department. <laughs> All right. We do have a new manga to talk about, but we go alphabetically. Uh, yeah, so we haven't we have we haven't unpinned Magu-chan completely yet, or pinned right, Magu-chan right. completely. Um, Magu-chan got a destruction. Chapter thirty, the capriccio of a sweet day. I don't know how to sp- how to pronounce capriccio. Sorry. Uh, 
So we get a little bit of a follow up to the last chapter uh, with, you know, Zonzage showed up and depressed a bunch of people where Ren realizes, oh, I said some embarrassing things in front of Ruru about, you know, acknowledging and directly calling out my own faults, <laughs> which were, why am I so mediocre? Which, when I think about it, yeah, I do feel like that would be a really bad thing to realize you said in front of your crush. <laughs> why do I have no qualities that, a, that the girl of my dreams would find attractive? <laughs> not that I'm bad, it's just I'm not good. <laughs> Um, and it's especially bad because Valentine's Day is coming up yes. because Magu seems to essentially run in real time. We had Christmas chapters around Christmas, Valentine's chapter around Valentine's. So he's pretty upset about that. Uneris, being a nosy noser, uh, is listening in and she's like, with Valentine's around the corner, you know, that attitude yours, I can't be abiding it. I've been watching you this whole time. The budding relationship between you and Ruru is a regular romantic comedy. Uh, so she's like, listen, I will support you on your path to, to love. And I have a magical item that I've brought here just for you. And she zaps up a jar full of heart-shaped chocolate candies, Holy Night Chocolates. And she's like, there's love potion in these. And Ren's like, that's cheating. She's like, no, 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 it's not cheating. Listen, in ancient times, humans used chocolate as an aphrodisiac. Just use, ha just have Ruru eat these. And <sighs> accommodate your love. I don't think that accommodate made sense in that sentence. So that did. Oh, well. So, Ren... Nick, I'm just telling you, this is why Uneris is awful. <laughs> she doesn't come out great in this <laughs> So, she's trying to stir this up, and Ren is initially like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get Ruru to love me by doing this. And she's like, oh, hey, but I know that you, you know, you've been moping over the, the fact that Ruru is not interested in you. And then Izuma showed up and now you've started to realize for yourself that it's impossible for things to go on this way. So I'm just going to I'm just going to leave these here and, and I'll let you decide what to do. Okay, give her the chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> so Ren at first is like, oh, it's so stupid. I'm not going to do that. But then he does really start thinking about what Aeneas is like and how rather has said about the situation. He's like, no, no, I shouldn't. Like, no, but Rue never gets to eat chocolate. Oh, no, no, wait, no, maybe, maybe just a little. Nope. And he throws it in the trash, which. Good move. <laughs> I do really appreciate that. Like. The zany comedy finds a way for things to get screwed up from this anyway. But I do appreciate that, you know, you didn't torpedo Ren's character for the sake of allowing that to happen. Because I do feel like if he had decided, if he had caved and decided to use these, then we would be like, you know what? Fuck you, kid. <laughs> A lot more. Uh, so he runs away, literally like he I think he's just like giving himself an adrenaline rush from from this. And so he runs out for a jog thereby abandoning the chocolates, which are found by Naputaku, who is excited about getting to use ingredients in a pudding he wants to make. Oh, no. 
So uh, hours later, uh, the girls show up. Uh, Ruru and her friends from the occult club. And Rin welcomes them into their home. That's Rin, not Ren. And uh, so she's like, hey, you know, I'll show you how to do this. I'm not great at this, but, you know, just don't, don't get your hopes up. But I'll show you how to do this. But before they can do whatever they're planning, Naputoku comes out and he's like, I'm using the kitchen to make my puddings. Uh, and he's really ups- He's like, don't come in here. I'm. <laughs> I do like how, like, innocent Naputakun is in this chapter where he's just like, yeah, that's why I'm making food. Yeah, here. He's like a little asshole, but he's like, get out of here. Don't you can't be here. I'm making. (laughs) So but when they say they're like, oh, yeah, you made the pudding before. That was yummy when you do that. You should let us try that. He's like, oh, well, oh, okay, you can try some of my pudding. Sure. Uh, Later, Ren comes back from his jog and he's like, okay, that didn't help at all. But he comes back and the girls are like tossing Naputa into the air and are acting adoring towards him. And like, ooh, you're so cool and pointy. <laughs> so Ren kind of immediately realizes what's happened. And Unera shows back up to goes like, it seems Napu had everyone eat the love potion. And Ren's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's kind of obvious that that's what happened. Well, I like, because they, I believe they also explained that it's not, he didn't do it because he's like, I'm going to mind control these people. He's no. just like, I found chocolate in the trash and used it to make pudding. For what's happened to him, he's like, I don't really know what is happening, but I guess my pudding's just amazing. <laughs> my pudding's awesome. Cooking is the best thing. Oh, they're, you know, being very affectionate towards it. It's not like they're like, oh, you're so hot or anything. Because Anaris just says like, the people who eat the chocolates see the one who provided them as handsome and cool. So it's not like they're going to be like, oh, Naputaku, I just want to figure out what part of your body is your mouth and make out with that. <laughs> or anything. So, But Naputaku is also like immediately the power goes to his head. because like, oh, you've acknowledged my greatness. I'll add you to my mad army. <laughs> so Ren tries to be like, no, get get away from Ruru and grab on him and stuff. And they toss Ren away immediately. Like, no, don't touch him. So Ren's like, well, this is your fault. You do something. So she's like, well, I guess I could do something. Here, uh, these white chocolates have the opposite effect of the love potion ones. And so she's like, all right, I'll, I'll have the girls eat this. And he's just like, Ruru, open your mouth. <laughs> and he does. And he just like, <laughs> throws them into her But when he, he does that, she turns them and is like, uh, Ren, what are you doing here? It's girls only allowed today. <laughs> she's just pulls a very unruly look of like, go away. Yeah. So Ren's very disturbed by this and he starts coughing up blood because he's so shocked and dismayed. And Eris is like, oh, you weren't listening to me. I said they had the opposite effect. So whoever provides the white chocolates to someone, they look repulsive to them. And Ren's like, fuck, fuck you! <laughs> Say these things. So the girls are celebrating with, with Naputuku. Ren is upset. His sister Reen shows up and is like, why are you on the ground? It's dirty. And she's like, sis, 
You've got to help me. Nipujiku's getting all the girls. And then Rin's like, so? Listen, I am nine-tenths baked right now. <laughs> yeah, look. My walls are fucking melting. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I don't know if you just always are a talking starfish or I'm just high all the time. But right now... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Ren, just because your starfish buddy gets more poon than you do. <laughs> yeah. Look, you're always going to be my little starfish brother, so. <laughs> <laughs> you think, Ren, you think if I cut you in half, you'd multiply? I'm going to try Are it you a tonight. starfish now? <laughs> Are you the starfish or is it that guy? I forget. <laughs> So Rin grabs Nabutiko and he's like, oh, you know, he's worked hard. Doesn't he deserve a little fussing over? And Ren's like, oh, no, did she take the love potion, too? And Nabutiko is celebrating and stuff like that. And Ren's like, oh, no, everyone's fallen captive to Nabutiko's charm, and it's all my fault. But then Rin's like, you're wrong, Nabutiko. These tiny hands of yours aren't meant to oppress others. Cooking is about creating happiness for others. The final and most important secret ingredient is what else but love. And she feeds Naputika some of the pudding. And immediately, everyone is like, oh my god, she's so cool! <laughs> you're not going to think she's cool when you're five years older, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, everyone instead starts freaking out over Rin. And immediately, like, the love potion effects stop working on the girls. They don't have a thing for Naputika anymore. So Rin's like, why Why is this happened? What happened? And Nunera says, I can't believe she defeated my magic. That human is intriguing. <laughs> so the love potion fades off suddenly. And Nunera's like, oh, yeah, uh, I, I'd planned for the chocolate to expire just when things were getting good between you and Ruru. And Ruru's like, I have... I fucking hate Fuck you. you. Fuck you. Fuck you. I fucking. And she's like, I still stand you. And I'm like, how about you go eat shit and die? How about that? Ren's like, go away! <laughs> he says, oh, but if the magic's worn off, then Ruru should be back to normal. Ruru, are you okay? I'm so sorry that all this happened. And Ruru says again, but much less meaner this time. She's like, Ren, no, go away. It's a girl's only day. And so <laughs> Ren just collapses on the ground. Also, there's a caption that just says dead, yeah. which I do appreciate. The next day, Ren's really, really sad. But then he gets to the club room after, after class and everyone's there with some chocolate the girls have made. And Andrew was like, oh, you made it. Look. So it was a girls only day because they wanted to get together and make chocolate. I was like, aw. Yeah, that's nice. So it was a surprise for the boys. It's it's very nice. Although, yeah, yeah, this is the day that the girls give chocolate to the boys. White days. White day when we're guys doing return. So. So, yeah, they, they, the reason they had gone over to Ren's house was so that Ren could teach them how to make chocolate. It all comes full circle. And uh, Napujiko still hasn't realized what has happened. We get one last panel showing that he's going to try and win people over with cooking some more and have them under his control. So, yeah, uh, so, I yeah I'm kind of with you. Like, fucking hate Daenerys. But there was some stuff in this chapter that I did like a lot, so... Uh, as denoted by how I kept on laughing throughout the, uh, the I, chapter. I like the Naputakun part. I like that we also get a, a, a Zonge <laughs> panel to show that he's in the series. Is He's offered a piece of chocolate and he's just like, 
is it going to kill me? Like that. <laughs> um, I will say that I totally, I guess this is what the author intended for Rin, but I have never seen her as a cool, inspiring figure before. So the fact that that's what breaks the magic is something I'm like, sure thing, manga. Like I'll, I'll take your word for it. That's not my interpretation at all, but all right. It's going to be interesting. I guess it might be a matter of like they're little kids, so they just see the older person who hangs out with them as cool. That is definitely. Well, like it's some- it's also specifically given like shoujo romance manga vibes of like almost being like a princely character, like flowers in the background and things like that. And I was just like, I guess that's a way you could kind of interpret the character, but I I only really ever noticed her sitting on a couch looking stoned out of her mind. I hope she gets a chaos god who's just also stoned out of his mind. And that's her character. And they just they just sit passing drugs back and forth between each other. Uh yeah. Um I don't really know how I feel about Rian, honestly. I, I I did like some of the stuff that she did earlier on, which is just like, yeah, okay, guys. But then when she gets that whole speech, I'm like is this the same character? So, yeah. I don't know. Holy cow, we are really behind on time. We got to keep going. So, there's another new cha- new series that starts this week. It is Witch Watch by Kenta Shinohara, who is the author of Astro Lost in Space and uh, Sket Dance. Chapter 1, Witch's Return. And let me tell you something, Chris. Out of all of the series to debut in Jump in the past year by veteran manga authors with Witch in the title, this is one of them. So, <laughs> uh, to be very simple about this, because this, like a lot of Shinohara series, this is honestly a pretty dense uh, pilot chapter. A lot of stuff actually does happen in this. But to break it down very simply... Uh, our two main characters are reunited uh, childhood friends that haven't seen each other in a while. One of them is a witch, and the other, Moi, is uh, descended from ogres. Uh, so he appears pretty much entirely human, but he has ogre strength. And we also see his dad for quite a bit of the chapter, and his dad has kind of horn horns in his hair it looks like it's not actually horns but his hair just takes that pattern so um they've been brought back together because for reasons that aren't 100 percent explained yet the witch nico uh it is time for her in her training as a witch to take on a familiar and rather than taking on a normal animal as a lot of witches do she is taking on a magical uh, creature Moe, who is her childhood friend. And this is kind of wrapped up in some prophecy that we learn about at the very end of the chapter that uh, her familiar is going to be her guardian when her life is in danger in the future. Uh, we then, most of the chapter is spent with them catching up for a very little bit. It's a clear immediately that Nico is, has been crushing on Moe for the entirety of the time that they've been apart. And when they're reunited, she's got like fantasies about them getting married right away and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, Yeah. She demonstrates her magic, which uh, requires essentially that she can repair things by sacrificing 
things that are important to people. So like she sacrifices a collector's mug that Moe has in order to repair a window that she had flown through. So, <laughs> and uh, then she's like, Oh, and also I, I can, I can uh, do something else. Do you mind anything? You don't mind getting turned into paper. I know I can turn it back. And he's like, your last spell broke something of mine. I don't trust you. She's like, okay, then I'll cast it on myself. And she just makes herself turn paper flat. And which is a really cool uh, thing to see drawn out because her, you know, she, her body is like all deformed yeah. and flapping around and stuff. The door is open. So she blows out the, the window immediately before she can cast the counter spell because, you know, she's, uh, you know, not a super great witch. Uh, we also see her vomit while she's paper thin, but it's OK. Uh, it just turns into confetti because it's also paper thin. Right. She blows into a crack in the wall and uh, is stuck. And it's in a crack between in a, in a building that is too thin for Moe to even reach his hand into. And she's like, I can't use any other magic except for the reverse spell. And if I turn myself back here, I'm going to get crushed. And there's a time limit on the spell. And it'll wear off and I'll die. So Moe is like, and Nico are like, what, what do we do? There's a bully that shows up that Moe had been harassed by previously. The guy beat him up, but Moe didn't care because he's got ogre strength and he was just avoiding punching the guy in retaliation. And uh, he basically, we get a flashback at this point to when Moe and Nico were kids and Moe was defending her from some bullies and uh, he broke a kid's arm, uh, punching him in retaliation. And so now he just lets himself get beat up because he's afraid of using his strength to hurt someone. He's like asking his dad, what's the point of having this strength? It's only good for hurting people. You can't protect people. And so then his dad's like, listen, there is a family art of ogre chi- qigong, which... I learned as part of family tradition and my father wanted to, to pass me to pass it on to you. But I figured in these peaceful times, it was unnecessary. But having strength can be very important. Uh, a strong, disciplined body fosters a strong heart. So if you want, I can train you in the family arts. Do you think you can take it? And then they separated and went their own separate ways. And now Moya realizes in this moment, wait a minute, we can just fix it after with magic, you can just fix anything. So it doesn't matter if I break it with my super strength. So he fucking punches the wall and breaks it open. And Nico flaps out just before the spell expires and she returns to normal. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I blew a hole in this house. We've got to fix it. But uh, in order to sacrifice it, uh, I hear that this bully guy here values his hair more than his life. So we can just use that. So they turn him bald in order to fix the wall. And leave him very confused as they leave. And then we get the part about to just to kind of confirm that Nico is very in love with Moe. And then we get N- Moe's dad explain the prophecy to him. And that's it. So, yeah. What do you think of it, series, uh, Nick? There's some cool ideas in this, but I don't really like the characters very much. Uh, so I don't know if I really want to stick with it, but uh, we've got a couple more chapters at least before that decision is going to be made. So, yeah, I really liked it. Uh, it was it was nice to have a break from everything. Uh, it was nice to get uh, some really good 
moments to to feel like the momentum is there uh the good variety uh i really enjoyed it now that was me talking about what it was like having a couple weeks without a mediocre comedy and jump now that one's back in the magazine i assume it's gonna be pretty bad because you're gonna have to get through a couple of those so a little less happy about that but uh, i will cherish those couple weeks well (laughs) i feel as though you are the harshest on the things that are just there. <laughs> I will. I actually like Sakamoto now, but at the time, at the time, oh boy, it could not have been more obnoxious to my eyes. <laughs> now that said, I will also say Sakamoto Days is good because it stopped being funny, and now it tries to be funny every so often, and I go right back to hating it. So, um, yeah, look, this series might be fine. I hate, like. I will say this: this series had a very rough start. Because it is very Japanese and does not translate well. Like the first like five panels have to have an explanation for what's being said because it just does not translate. There's this a bunch of like, is, right? yeah, there's a bunch of Japanese style jokes that don't particularly land for me. Um, and I don't. Maybe this premise will work a little bit more once we kind of get away from some of the generic stuff and start kind of showing these characters interacting. But I mean. I don't know. I, I just don't find anything in this series to be particularly great. Um, but at the same time, I also wasn't crazy on the start of Astral Lost in Space either. So maybe with some time, it'll it'll pick itself up. Possibly. Uh, let's move on because we got to power through some stuff. Dr. Stone, Z equals 184. Fort Medusa. They uh, established that they've arrived at the place where they're going to get all their valuable minerals and stuff like that. Uh, a lot. Chrome is like, are you sure that we can really do that? And Chelsea demonstrates the science of how, like, basically rocks get moved around um, through the surface of the Earth uh, and how they get separated and why there are uh, ore veins and stuff like that here. And so, like, yes, we we, we can get all this stuff. And Kohaku says something dramatic for a reason that I'm not really sure of. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's because people are like, oh, wow, the planet's amazing. I guess to, in comparison to the planet, humanity's like a parasite. Kohaku's like, but humanity's pretty cool in terms of how they use the resource of the Earth to survive, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Anyway, <laughs> enough about being philosophical about all this stuff. We've got work to do. Yeah. Uh, they start building stuff, and the first thing they do that happens... Almost entirely off panel is they basically build like a, a they fortify the area that they've arrived in. And uh, Gen's like, why do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> and Seku says, oh, we're going to have to fight uh, Stanley after this. And he confirms like, yeah, Zeno was contacting them because he magnetized w- one of his claws in order to signal them and stuff like that. So, you, yeah. Uh, and Zeno's like. Well, I mean, you were going to lure Stanley here, so what's the harm? And Senku's like, well, you sped up the timetable. That's the harm. <laughs> just very bluntly lays it out. And uh, so, like, yeah, we we get the whole big dramatic thing that happens in Dr. Stead occasionally, which is <clears throat> these are the stakes. This is what's going to happen. These are the people involved. We get, you know, some big two-page, two, uh, you know, split-screen uh, full-page spreads and stuff like that. There is a nice little uh, note where... Hyoga and Tsukasa are just kind of acknowledging that the bullet wounds that they've taken have not healed. And so they're not in top fighting condition. And they're like, yeah, Kohaku, Ukyo, and Max are like the only other fighters that we've got. 
Chris, do you know who Max is? <laughs> uh, it's one of the two uh, hangers on, I believe, of Luna's hangers on. It's like Max and Carlos, right? Or is that Carlos and Hyde? Remember. I don't nah, know. nah. I'm hoping it's one of those two. I know Carlos is in there, and I don't know why. Is Carlos Hyde a football player? Is that why? Carlos. Yeah, Carlos Hyde's a football player. Carlos and Max are the two. Car- okay. Max is the the, the dweeby one, yeah. Okay, so I guess that makes sense because they were like in a military thing, and Carlos was a driver. So okay. So wait, Max is the fighter? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I, I would not have gotten that from his physique, but sure. <laughs> uh, we do see a cool thing because they're basically saying like, okay, the only way we can actually win this with as few fighters as we've got in fighting in fighting shape is by actually using the Medusas. So they're like trying to figure out things that they can do with the Medusas, like, you know, just throwing a whole bunch of them out. And they're like, we can't really do this. We don't have we don't have enough people who are really good at throwing these things. Uh, Chrome tries setting up a bunch of like uh, recording devices hooked up to the petrification devices with trip lines on them, which is a really cool idea. But a capybara randomly trips one. <laughs> See, now this is the big problem, Dr. Stone. I've never seen a capybara, like, panicked in my life. They are the chillest animals. So it should have it should have heard that noise and just kept on walking, probably sat down. <laughs> it hears that noise and it stops. It takes a dump. Yeah, it <laughs> like a loud fart and then carries on. <laughs> <laughs> Time, capybara. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me of the joke yeah, you made. <laughs> I forget all my jokes, and then they make me laugh again. <laughs> so they they try setting some some other stuff up, and basically they uh, set up. Eventually, the conclusion that they reach is to as they're kind of working with all of the different pieces. Uh, and we see a few different things that they're experimenting with, like, oh, we could attach a device to Ukyo's arrow and he could shoot it at them. But they're like, yeah, but I mean, is that going to be enough? Uh, and Taiju comes up with the idea of I'll just run over and take them down with me. And then you guys can bring you can bring me back with a revival fluid. And <laughs> Taiju says when Gen, when Gen's like, right, what about it's like a suicide run. He's like, a few bullets won't slow me down. And Senku's like, they'll just shoot you in the head. <laughs> but then Chrome gets the idea of what if instead of having one of us be a sacrifice, we all let ourselves get petrified and we just, you know, have someone the second that they show up saying to the petrification device, 3000 meters, one second. And so everyone on the island will get hit. And we'll just have someone off the island waiting everything. And then they'll come in with the revival fluid after everything's safe and, and done with. And they're like, that might actually work. Yeah. But the problem is, how do we do have one person be the, the Medusa holder? I mean, you know, they might get captured. Ward might not get to them in time. And Seku's like, yeah, that would be a problem. But we can solve it with science. And so they build this big tower that is called Fort Medusa, and they have a, you know, a radio device hooked into hooked above it to channel a command into the Medusa device. And they're like, we've got this connected to a bunch of mics spread all over the entire fort. So the instant we're under attack, someone will shine to one of those mics. 
3,000 meters one second. And that'll be our plan. And that's where we end. It's a cool idea. Yeah. So. I like it. Everything's kind of being set up. I like that Chrome has this big idea and everyone's kind of stunned by it. It's it's a good way to show off the whole cast. And I'm actually pretty psyched for this battle to happen. So good stuff. Let's move on then real quick then to Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 49, Mash Burn Dead and the Brawny Balloon. So last time Mash punched down one of the Vanderdreads, but uh, that's not enough to actually stop them. So or the sorry, the Deader Vance. So the that man just gets up and bash is like i guess i have to stay away from him he runs around he realizes he's like i wish i had my friends because i'm not exactly the brains of the group but i like that little moment and then he runs into max land and adler uh third year who's in this test together um i guess this is who was the one who died in the fourth one oh i thought you liked harry potter for some reason Oh, Cedric. Cedric Diggory, Diggory. I don't know. Maybe this is supposed to be their Cedric Diggory. I assume that was Tom Knowles, so I don't know. Um, he might betray them. Who knows? Anyway, Max Land's like, hey, let's solve this together. They find the key, and they're like, hey, there's something we have to pop. Um, there's a great joke before that, though, where Mash is like trying to sneak past the dead event, and he begins to trip. He's like, oh, no, he's going to trip and make a noise. And then we see that Mash is like, slain, yeah, like pressed. <laughs> he's pressed his seat into the ground so much he doesn't make a sound. But yeah, they find this big bellow with a balloon. They're like, we have to do something. But if they touch the thing, it makes a loud honking noise, which summons a dead event. So they're like, how do we do this? Uh, he mentions his magic is size changing. And essentially, what they eventually get to is they're like, okay. We're actually going to, like, we destroyed the bellows, and we're going to make the, use your magic to actually make the balloon bigger, and the mash is just going to do a fucking dope-ass breakdancing technique to summon, like, a whirlwind of wind to blow the balloon up, and that's how they get the key. So, it's actually a pretty clever thing. I, I, I'm kind of breezing through this chapter because we had to make up some lost time here, um, but it was actually, I think, a pretty fun chapter with some some clever thinking in it. All right, Ayakashi Triangle. Uh, is there a chapter title on this page? If there is, it's very... No, there isn't. Okay, so uh, Garaku has taken Suzu captive and seems to be delivering her to Chirizuka Kayao. And uh, so Matsuri is like, okay, I've got to take action. Uh, they start battling. He tries to summon his wind, but the Ayakashi unleashes decaying demon wind, which swallows up Matsuri's wind, and some of his clothes to show battle damage because this series is Negima now. So <laughs> um, I was like, thank goodness that dust only attacks clothing. <laughs> well, they do so, go on to say that like the dust will actually slowly decay his flesh, which yeah. is a cool, you know, like, okay, there is some danger to this, but that would make Matsuri's female body less hot. So yeah, I was going to say it point. doesn't get to that point. Yeah. Um, and the Ayakashi reveals basically its trump card, an Ayakashi tool dust chest, which has been collecting dust for hundreds of years as he's been sealed away. The more I gather, the more Ayakashi energy I gain. And so the problem, the, the problem is that he's just way stronger than Matsuri right now. That seems to be this bit straight up. Uh, however, in addition to gathering dust, the thing acts like, of really powerful vacuum and starts to pull Matsuri inside of it as well. And Matsuri latches onto Shirogane in order to be an anchor, which I don't know. 
they seem to pick him up and carry him around really easy. I was gonna say I would have picked like a rock or something, not a a, a slightly overweight cat. <laughs> so Chirizuka Kayo is you know going yeah you'll you'll never defeat me. And Matsuri, to his credit, is like okay, I've got one chance. The moment before I get sucked in, he's planning his his last ditch move, and then a tentacle just comes out of nowhere and crushes the box, just completely splinters it. As Garaku has summoned uh, an octopus with his art again. And Kaio is like, what are you doing, Garaku? And Garaku's like, yeah, uh, I, I waited for my moment to destroy the dust chest. Yeah, I would have preferred for Matri to save the day, but you're just too much for him. You're the king of Sukumogami. Sukumogami, after all. You've been gathering strength by collecting dust since the Heian period. However, this one isn't the Ayakashi medium who sealed you away. You have the wrong person. And he confirms that, yeah, he knew Suzu's, pre- Suzu's predecessor 150 years ago. Uh, and Kayo concludes like, oh, then she is the reincarnation. But then he's like, hmm, well, I see the true nature of everything. The Konan Haku of this girl are the same as the Ayakashi medium. And it doesn't matter if she's the reincarnation. I'm going to kill her. <laughs> so... <laughs> So he's going to take that and he's like, look, you're just um, you're the Sukumogami of a brush with nowhere to go. You're nothing compared to me. And you've subjugated yourself to me before. Have you forgotten your duty? And Garaku's like, well, I didn't have a choice back then because you were so strong. And so the king is like, all right, we'll be gone then. And starts to send his decaying dust at Garaku. And nothing happens to Garaku. And Garaku says, only those who have substance can rot. It only works against Ayakashi, whose power is weaker than yours. I told you, it's been 150 years, and Ayakashi gains power as it is recognized and revered by humans. You know nothing of cars, planes, TV, and the internet, nor do you realize how many people fill this world now, and how many of them recognize Garaku Utagawa. All of that makes me stronger. And he summons a fucking dragon with his art and turns away as it fucking eats Kaio. <laughs> and he says, I'm not just a Sukumogami of a brush. I'm the Ayakashi painter, Garaku Udagawa. And Matsuri is very impressed by this as the dust di- disappears from around him. And now Garaku says, I did everything I could to continue existing so that I would be able to see the Ayakashi medium again. Suzu. I was in love with you and your previous life. And that's where we end the chapter. I thought this was actually really cool. I liked the way that things played off of what we learned about Garaku the last time. And I like how, you know, we had learned that stuff about the way Aikashi worked based off of the belief of humans and stuff and how he weaponized the modernization of the times. It's a really cool idea. I think I've spent too much time playing D&D, especially in like quasi-modern settings, because like... In my mind, I was like, yeah, the idea of, like, using e-celebrity as a way to kind of, like, collect fame in a world that power comes from worship is is kind of trite. That's old trodden ground, but I guess that's actually not for a lot of people. Um, I, I The thing I found funniest about this chapter is a comment Ninja X3 I had in the Discord where he's like, man, I really hope Chris gives MVP to Garaku because of all the shit he said last week about Garaku. And my response was, who the fuck is Garaku? Because I legitimately <laughs> did not know what he said. It. So no, I didn't. this chapter did not leave really any impression on me. All right. 
That's unfortunate that you've played so much Dice Funk. <laughs> yeah, it really has. I like. I was like, yeah, isn't that a thing? Like, you know, worshiping gods, essentially. It's like worshiping a conglomerate when you think about it. It's uh, absolutely not the first time that the comparison has been made. So, uh, Let's move on to uh, Black Clover, page 281, Assault on the Kingdom. So last time... Big things came up. There's a talk about how a long time ago in the Spade Kingdom, there were two youthful close friends who had phenomenally strong magic, and at some point, their affection turned hatred, and they became demons, and then they fought and were sealed away. So, uh, the Grinberials, which is the family that uh, you know is from, uh, those were the ones guarding the ancient demon when we woke them up. Uh, the Grinberry were guarding those two ancient demons. We woke them up. Okay, so I guess those are two separate thoughts. And they killed and took over, and that's what's... Okay, yeah, I got it now. Sorry. So he's basically like, hey, what are you going to do? We released them in order to distract you. Sucks to suck, nerd. Uh, They're really powerful. (laughs) We cut over to the uh, Clover Kingdom, and uh, the Wizard King is just like, man, this body sucks. Uh, It seems pretty bad. I gotta gotta release my full power. And he asks the, the, the judge dude... So that's like a teamwork. Um, I feel bad. There's a lot of unfinished art in this chapter. And I know Tabata has had health issues. So I hope the best for him to recover and come back from it. Um, But it it is very noticeable in the chapter. So in case you didn't know, that's why Uh, the purple orcas defend everybody for a little bit. And then they get their shit pushed in. Um, We see a bunch of like vice captains from various guilds hanging around doing things. Uh, Nozelle's sister and brother are there. I think Kirsch was his name with the cherry blossom magic. He's there. The wizard king yells, yee, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop, because a big demon's just going to blow them all fucking up. Um, they're all doing their attacks, but it's not worth it. It can't stop. Its magic is too strong. Uh, the scale guy tries to block it back. He's like, I can't negate it completely. Boom, Wizard King shows up. He's in his adult form. He I is- spent six months training my <laughs> magic. Take my word for it. Yeah, he trained his magic to, like, boom, age himself up. And he's going to do it. He's going to age He's going to give him the strength once more. Boop goes right back to being a kid. They're like, shit, that is really bad. And there's a big beam attack that's about to destroy the Clover Kingdom. When who should show up but Asta? And he's like, all right, Sabretooth, let's do it. Devil Union. And that's where the chapter ends. What happened, Chris? What happened, Nick? What happened? Uh, For like all of last year, we were like, well, Black Clover, you know, it's actually like doing some cool stuff with like, you know, gradual builds and character development and stuff like that. This chapter is the embodiment of everything I hate about this series. What are we going to do? Yay, Asta's here. And oh, look at all these other characters. They're here, too. And you don't care about any of them because they're just showing up for little cameo appearances. And a villain that was defeated before has gotten back up. So, oh boy. 
<sighs> well, this is here. this is the second one, isn't it? This is the one that's attacking the Clover Kingdom. Is it? I don't care. I think I can't so. Tell them apart. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is that it's a little tough to tell. I actually didn't. I actually kind of like the chapter simply because all these other characters show up and are completely ineffectual. Uh, like the Wizard King's like, time to do my big thing, and immediately he's like, ah, shit. <laughs> like it immediately goes wrong for him. So I, I kind of like it as this way of showing like, wow, the Clover Kingdom really has put everything out in front of the spade kingdom attack like there's literally only one like captain still left in the city and it's the lamest one basically so it's 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 an interesting thing um and i like asta showing up at the end you know you don't want to introduce gear three against Lucci. you do it against bluno that way we have some knowledge of what it is before the big fight happens it makes things more interesting so show off devil union before the big fight against Zeno or a devil or whoever and Asta ends up having to beat, you know? I don't know. I feel as though... So, you know how in Dragon Ball it would do this thing multiple times where Goku's away training, so we have to buy time until he gets back. And he would show up right when it was at the point where everyone would be dead if he hadn't shown up at that moment. Mm -hmm. It happened against the Saiyans after several of their friends died. It happened on Namek when they were getting their asses kicked by the Ginyu Force. And it happened over and over and over again. But, you know, it has that note of like, okay, just when things are at their most dire, the hero comes and saves the day. And this is just like, nothing we do is working. Yeah, Yasta's here. It doesn't... And because we haven't been following any of these characters in yeah. this conflict that lasts all of one chapter before Asta shows up to save the day, it does not feel as though a race against the clock has happened at any point in all of this. So it feels as though it does not land on the mark for me. And obviously not every manga has to do things the exact same way. I'm using it as an example of why I don't find yeah. the way that this played out does not work for me so it's perfectly fair all right let's move on to one piece chapter 1003 night on the board uh so luffy's using his kong bullet it's very effective with his new hockey training and he punches the shit out of kaido and uh, eventually knocks him down into the ground uh but big mom is you know Still up there. And also, Luffy's been using his Kong form for a little while, and his time is up. And he's not able to use hockey for 10 minutes now. So, like, well, shit, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta capitalize on what he did. All, if all those punches did damage, then we could do something. All right, Big Mom is here. And she is immediately on the attack on all of them, forcing them into the defensive. So uh, they're trying to press the advantage that they've worked so hard to get at this point. Uh, now, Nick, what is the name of the attack she uses? Happy Mother's Blaze. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's supposed to be a pun on Happy Mother Day, but I don't know. <laughs> also, there is a barely legible moment where uh, Law manages to teleport himself in front of Big Mom and does counter shock, but it's almost impossible to see, honestly. Yeah. Because the scale is so different between the two characters. Uh,. Kaido gets up and he causes a storm somehow. He's a dragon. He can do that, I guess. Uh, twisters come raining down from stormy clouds. Uh, Zoro picks up Luffy so that he's, you know, doesn't get, you know, hit by anything. 
and he's immediately whipped out of his grasp by the storm and Luffy goes right into Kaido's mouth. <laughs> so Zoro's immediately like, oh no, don't you go dare, don't you dare go eating our captain and he uses his three swords to unleash Black Rope Dragon Twister and cuts into Kaido's flesh which causes him to spit out Luffy and everyone's like, oh shit, he, he cut through Kaido's scales. Uh, but Kaido now realizes that the black sword that Zoro was wielding must be Odin's sword. Uh, and uh, so they're like, all right, fine. And he unleashes another twister technique, which sends out a lot of blades of wind like he had unleashed before. Uh, and I do like that you get a little glimpses of how everyone is dealing with them. Like kids, mecha form thing is getting chopped up by it, but it's all scrap so he can just pull it back together. Yeah. Law is teleporting between them. Killer is deflecting them with his blades and Zoro just seems to be running because he's got to <laughs> carry Luffy under one. Yeah, arm. he just has to dodge right now. Then we cut down for a calm moment with uh, Cypherpole, Aegis Zero, who uh, we we did see show up before. Right? Yeah, we've seen them in various places. I feel like we saw a couple of them in Dressrosa and they've definitely appeared in this as well. Um, the fact that it starts with a shot of Orochi's decapitated head seems to imply there might be still something more to that because it seems weird to just be like look at this dead dude's head in a scene that's not really relevant to him but i guess they are talking about our business partner being dead so maybe 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 it is true maybe uh they they lay out pretty clearly like okay here are the stakes of the battles that are going on the you know rebellious group is outnumbered They've managed to gain a surprising advantage from their surprise attack, but all these generals are still at work. And if the Straw Hats and other people who are combating them don't take them down, this battle is going to be over because each one of those officers will overrun the game board. The outcome of this battle is not much in doubt. So why don't you pirates do us all a favor and take out as many of each other as you can? So... Once again, uh, you know, organization of the government's looking to, you know, mop up the pieces after the uh, big straw hat battle, it seems. Yeah. So. I like that there's a point here of it, it's stressing the significance of these, you know, straw hat fights. Uh, you know, it gives them a reason to have importance because, like, hey, if you guys don't do it, even if Luffy and the rest of them manage to defeat Kaido, the losses the rest of the samurai will take will basically render it as as well as a failure, essentially. Yeah. Um I do think it's got a little contrivance to it where you're like, I guess it's not quite as clean of a reason as like, okay, every CP nine member has a, a, a key to a Robin's handcuffs, but only one of them actually works. So that's the reason why you had to take these guys down. It's something like, yeah, I guess it is important, but they all also did fuck off to their own areas. So <laughs> I don't know if they're that dangerous. They all fucked off to their cat cafes and bullshit. So Feels like Ulti would be distracted enough. You just like have her, you know, chase off like some someone off of the island. And yeah, she, she won't take out anyone else. But I do, um, I do like it. It looks like we're about to move to those fights after getting look. after getting a little bit, a little, a little taste, a little susan of that Luffy fight up there. Uh, and speaking of which, before the chapter ends, we cut back to that fight as a figure is emerging from the smoke caused by all the dust that got kicked up from that last massive attack of Kaido's as he seems to have taken his man beast form. And uh, yeah, he's, we see like him in silhouette 
gripping his mace, but we only get a shot of his hand, which is scaly and clawed. It's probably going to be pretty dope. Uh, oh. I, I will say, sorry, Carrot fans, but Yamato is in the page of showing all the Straw Hats taking down yeah. generals, but no Carrot anywhere. Weird. Doesn't, Carrot doesn't seem to have her own important individual it's, fight going. It's okay, guys. I thought Polly was going to join, too. We all make mistakes. Sometimes we're led astray. Yamato is going to join. That's almost guaranteed at this point. What, the person who had a bond with Luffy's brother and uh, doesn't isn't really going to have a, a reason to stick around in Wano once uh, his dad's dead and or defeated or whatever because he's not part of the ruling class of, of Wano or anything and he really idolizes Odin who went out on a world-spanning journey with the King of the Pirates. Hmm. <laughs> 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 seem to have more reason to join the game yeah, again. Just, yeah, I'm just going to say. Uh, anyways, uh, I like this chapter a lot. Um, pretty excited for next one. I'm I'm hoping right now that what we're gonna get is like immediately move into one of these fights because I have been desperately hungry for one of these like real like one on one Luffy Straw Hat members versus a bad guy group fights and really haven't gotten any of those since the time skip. I mean, you can I guess Frankie versus Senor Pink is probably the closest we've gotten to one, but I'm I'm hoping for something real real tasty. All right, that is it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. Thanks for sticking with us for this extra packet, uh, packed episode, everybody. We uh, would uh, like to uh, now name our favorites of this week. Favorite series and MVP. Uh, you go first. I have to get back to the page. All right. Uh, I am going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Karaku, actually, for, for a chapter. I almost gave it to, to Shinomiya because she does have that cool moment at the end. But I feel as though there's more of Garaku in this chapter okay. in terms of carrying in stuff. And I do really like the way that it's all laid out. It's a cool chapter that he very much is the center of. And uh, my favorite series of the week is going to be One Piece again. Uh, it's just been really cool seeing this fight unfold so far. Uh, not quite as action-packed as the last few that we've gotten because of the explanation of the battles. But that was cool, too. So, Yeah, uh, I think, honestly... After going through the episode, I think my favorite series this week was probably The Elusive Samurai. I thought that was a really good chapter that got better the more and more I think about it. So I'm going to give it there. Uh, character of the week I'm going to give to Endeavor. I thought seeing mm -hmm. him kind of come up and just start fucking opening his heart up and then that, that cut line at the end. I'm looking forward to like the conversation happening there. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a decent little moment. Yeah. It was nice to see him finally reach that point where he's like, well, shit, I've come. I'm an asshole. Up, so. And yeah. I, I really like that line where he's like, I made a serial killer son and I can't stop him. Yeah. <laughs> like it's 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 it hits hard. Yeah, there was quite a bit of good stuff this week. I know that we some of the stuff we did have to just speed through, but very good week of Mongo overall, I would say. Yeah. So. Uh, do you want me to give our next series now or at the end? Oh, I was going to ask what the audiences were. Oh, sorry. I skipped pages again. Uh, say, what the, say what the recommendation is first. Uh, now I, I'm already back to favorite series and MVPs now. So <laughs> One Piece is the chapter of the week and Garaku and Rin were tied for character of the week. So, so Chris, we were wrong. Oh, wait, hold on. Rin is yeah. a really cool character. Everyone loves her. She's the best. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah, so I will I'll say 
Actually, no. You do you do your spiel, and then I'll then I'll say my my. All series. right. So uh, Chris will be back with the uh, next recommendation. We'll be looking into. If you'd like to re- leave a recommendation for us, you can uh, do that via the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, audience MVP and favorite series voting is on there as well. Uh, Go check it out. There is, are many different tools that you can use to not only be a part of the Weekend Monday React community, but also just look back on our history and stuff like that. Uh, you can also join our WMR Discord server, which is a great community. Uh, discuss the chapter as it, before it comes out. Discuss the recommendation that we're working on. Get notification if you're not following us on Twitter, which you should do as well. At at uh, WMR Podcast, at Rolo T, and at Nick F Time are the accounts associated with the podcast. Follow those for uh, updates, uh, which will tell you exactly when we're going to start recording. Because usually we do start sometime between seven thirty and eight Eastern Time Wednesday evenings here on twitch.tv slash Rolo T. But to know exactly when it's going to happen, follow those accounts, and uh, you'll get word of it. And uh, we'd also like to extend special thanks to Winsdale Cheddar. And uh, Milo Jack Stilts for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. And everyone who supports the show on Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap for allowing us to create bonus content for you guys. Indeed. Uh, so our new series we're going to be looking at is a little bit of a long one. I don't imagine we're going to get through this whole thing. But uh, it is February. Sometimes we try to do a romantic series in February. So I figured let's tackle one of the most uh, highly requested series we have. And that is Kagu- Kaguya-sama Love is War. So mm-hmm. we're going to take a look at that. Uh, I like the description. It says, starts out excellent and then continues to improve drastically. So I've got, oh. I've got high expectations. Uh, uh, thanks you can to... only be disappointed. Exactly, now. yeah. <laughs> I'll say thanks to FlameFist96 for being the first person to recommend it. So. All right. All right. That's going to do it. Do it. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, Chris, uh, we've we've both uh, seen our, our football teams uh, in the time that we've been uh, big fans, I guess, have two Super Bowls now. And yes. uh, it feels equally good for both of us, I feel like, at this point. Yeah, I, I, I that's that's why it was really easy to stop following football is because I was like, cool, I, I got it. I got my yeah. I got my I got to watch a Super Bowl. The Giants won a Super Bowl with my dad. And I was like. I don't need any more. It can stop there. They can suck forever. I'll be angry when they do. Like, I'll always be like, oh, why aren't they better? But it's still like that thing of like, cool. I don't need to see them do anything else now. I got to watch the Bucks win a Super Bowl with my dad, too. But uh, he was never nearly as into He was just like, so I'm sorry. Who's playing the halftime show? When's that coming up? Boy, that commercial was really clever, wasn't it? <laughs> You know what my favorite part has been? Because I didn't, I didn't actually watch the Super Bowl, not because I had any like distaste for anybody in it or anything like that or, or anything along those lines. Just I, I generally don't have the patience to watch full football games anymore. Um, and were there any parties going on right now? So obviously couldn't do it. So there was part of me was like, all right, I'm just gonna stay downstairs. I'm gonna watch a uh, fucking Necromunda and Blood Bowl videos because I've gotten super into that. And uh, YouTube ads now just show you all the best ads from the Super Bowl. So I didn't even have to go like online and find videos for them later. I was like, I watched all the best ones. This Michael B. Jordan one's kind of weird. I don't know why she's like cuckolding her husband so much. But hey, I saw it now. <laughs> I may have to look into this now. <laughs> all right. Uh, that is going to do it. Bye, everybody. <laughs>